for the podcast. I went to Alabama, took in the bird migration with Zane, tons of photos, met some really cool people that we're actually going to hook up with this next spring on another migration area over in Ohio and Lake Erie. And then went to Minnesota and had three days where I did nothing but take pictures of loons and loon babies and stuff like that. Came back, did a couple trips to the park, and then we went to Mexico for a week. Went to Chichen Itza, got to see a bunch of the Mayan stuff, hung out with the family, did the vacation. Two months later, I'm in Nepal. Wow. That was all in one year. You went, Yeah, you went to Mexico right before school started. Yep. Yeah, because I remember you stopped by yeah. when you were, after you were working out, and yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's been a pretty cool year. Yeah, what did we do? We uh, we made some breakfast burritos. <laughs> Maybe and, we need to, like, I don't know. And then... Uh, <laughs> And then we made some more breakfast burritos. Yeah. And that's what we do. Holy cow. We got to get out more. No. Maybe we just need to have a camera and like a nine to five job and maybe we'll get out more. No, you don't. <laughs> that's what I've realized is I have too much of a normal job. Oh. I can't do as much as I want to do. We Well, we yeah. don't do anything. <laughs> I know. Anything. But you know what? This is why we need to be doing more podcast <clears throat> episodes so we can live vicariously through coal, and more people like Cole because we can't get out, but hey, we can all meet down here right. and live vicariously through you. I will say, like, I was surprised, like, when I came back of how many people were like, dude, I saw your stuff on Facebook and Instagram on your trip. I mean, it was got to be the most amazing thing. I mean, I didn't realize how many people were actually going to be like, check out what he's doing. Yeah, following along. Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't think that. I didn't really realize that at all, that it would be that, that people would be that interested. Oh, of course. You know, so I, I don't know. You know, because I think we're all, you know, we're all living in our little lives and you just, we all get caught in the same routine and the same whatever. And we're like, yeah, yeah. we'll get around to going and do something or I'll go do that trip or whatever. Most of us, 98% of us don't make it happen. And then all of a sudden you're, you're just out there making some things happen. And I think, yeah, we're all like, oh, he's actually doing it. So yeah, in a way, I think we, a lot of us do sit there and live vicariously through you. <laughs> we're like, look at that. Look at the places he's saying and the yeah. experiences. So, I mean, that's been kind of cool for people to be like, you know, we're like people that I don't even know. Like, I'll be down at the brewery with a beer and somebody be like, hey, you're the guy that went to Everest. I'm like, oh, yeah, you saw that. And they're like, well, yeah, we saw your pictures and we followed you on Facebook and saw all this. I mean, and then I have to tell the whole story. And I'm just like, I can't believe, like, people I don't know. I mean, I just, yeah, I really guess I never put that together because it wasn't, the trip was, I guess the trip was for me, Yeah, you know, and then the only, I mean, half the reason I put anything on Facebook and stuff is that's the only way I, I could you know show, show the kids and, and shasta what i was doing because there wasn't enough service to make a, a long phone call but you had enough service here and there to post a couple of pictures or something like that and because everybody over there has a phone and the internet yeah but um you know so it's like well at least they can see what i'm doing because i can't talk to him i think i went eight days without actually having a conversation with anybody from mm. back here before i had plenty of time but yeah and then just to find out how many people were like dude we, we followed the whole thing did you feel free by that, or did you feel like, uh, like a, like an anxiety about? Oh, do you, did you feel like? Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you want to call home, you want to talk to fam family, but in a way of being unplugged like that, was that? No, not at all. I didn't have any anxiety. I, I almost wish it was unplugged more. Yeah. You know, I was shocked actually when we started hiking, and everybody had a cell phone. Like my guide was getting phone calls the entire time I was there. You know, I mean, he had other clients that he had to, you know, get ready to prep and he was, uh, and he just got married. I mean, we stay in contact. He just got married. So him and his fiance were always talking, 
you know, but I mean, and they have, they have their data plans and everything like that for Nepal. Well, I'm from the West. I don't. Yeah. So I had my international plan and it was just hit and miss, but yeah, I almost wish it was more unplugged. Yeah. You know, I, I, I expected a little bit less technology even than there was. Yeah. But it shouldn't surprise me. I mean, it shouldn't surprise any of us. Yeah. You know, I mean, here they're washing clothes on rocks with brushes and rocks, but they're all on a cell phone talking to their <laughs> friends, you know. But, Priorities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then, the, you know, you go to a tea house and they're running on solar power because they don't have electricity once we once they get rolling up the mountains. So. Oh, wow. But yeah, no anxiety. Dude, it was the most less... I didn't have any anxiety the entire trip. No anxiety, no stress. I mean, it was super stress-free. That's, that's uh, you know, I think the appeal, though, for people at home, too, and, and on Facebook, um, I think that it's like, you know, you are. You're just, you have a 9-to-5 job. Well, not a real 9-to-5 job. I mean, right. but you have that job. You have, like, you have your small-town life here, but then all of a sudden you're, like, out there going to these places and doing these things i think that's that's pretty exciting for people to watch that and then be like oh yeah you're just but then you're just back in your little small town little brewery and people yeah. people can uh be like oh hey how was that like that, that's interesting that's all interesting for all of us back here in our humdrum little lives to to live <laughs> vicariously through cole waltner out there yeah. getting it <laughs> getting it that's starting exciting to, starting to starting to yeah. now you said something to me uh a week or two ago whenever we saw each other that since then now is it since then is it before then what you said that you have had this thing come across you where you just are you're just wanting to soak up learning that you are just wanting to experience more things and just learn it's kind of opened up the i don't know is it a new desire or is it uh, i wouldn't say that? it's a new desire i mean obviously we've talked before and i've always loved learning i right. always like gathering information but it was something about this trip where you know I didn't I didn't speak the language I mean there's people from all over the world there but not everybody speaks English so you're getting bits and pieces of different cultures in this country and we're all going there for the same goal I mean we're not all going to Everest base camp some are summiting different peaks some are going to three passes some are just going for a little bit of a hike I mean they're, they're they all are doing different things but we're all there basically for the same goal and uh, you know, I got to experience, like, I learned a Nepalese card game called Dumal. Um, there was a Hindu festival going on while I was there, Diwali. Um, and it just, and, you know, and then talking to people, like, there was people in my tea house from Russia, Germany, um, Afghanistan, um, Singapore, Myanmar, I mean, all over the world. And so we all had these little snippets of, we tell each other things, and then you start being like, I mean, how big the world is, but now we're all here in this little area. And for some reason, it just made me want to gather every, all the information I can. Yeah. You know, and I've always had that, but it just like burning now, you know, even more yeah. than before. Um, it's like once it got fed a little bit, it's yeah. like, oh, okay, now it's really lit another bigger fire. Get a little taste too. of it. Yeah. You just want to like immerse yourself in it. Yeah. And I think it made me realize why, you know, right out of high school, I wanted to be a history teacher, mm. you know, and paths went different i didn't do that but it just i don't know man just it's hard to explain i mean something happened something happened over there you know and it just i don't know it's yeah. hard, you can't put you can't i can't put one thing on it i don't know i to me it's, it's i look at it like it's got to be almost like a broadening of horizons that all of a sudden when those horizons are broadened it's like okay now what's on the other side of that next 
the next horizon. There's yeah. more horizons out there. I don't know. I think sitting in those rooms, I, I sit here and I, you know, I try to plug myself into that. Um, <clears throat> and I, I feel like I'm a lot like you. I, and I found this out about you years ago. We started kind of exchanging books years ago that education didn't stop for you. You know, a lot of people I feel like get out of high school and they're like, I don't got to read a book again, or I don't got to, I don't have to learn anything anymore. I can just go and yeah. whatever. And, um, I still read a lot. Obviously you still read a lot. And, uh, so you are, you're trying to learn you there's a desire to learn new things and explore new things, whether it's, we're just sitting here in our little hometown or whether you're out there getting it, but I can see how, yeah, getting out there. Um, I would see that that would really catch fire in me too, to just be like, Oh, there's so many more things now that I have to consume. Now that I've found these things, there's so much more to consume. It's not, I'm not just satisfied with just this now. Right. Now there's just so many more things to consume. Did I, one thing I've been thinking about, um, when you're sitting there and you're meeting people from all these different countries and you're sitting in a tea room together, I mean, are you, and are they asking you about you? Like, what do you do in the United States? How do you find yourself here? I Absolutely. Mean, you, and so you're telling them what, that, Hey, I'm from Montana. I'm a, you know, most of the time I'm a, I'm a County Sheriff's deputy mm -hmm. and, yeah. and like, they must, I think that they found that super interesting photographer sheriff's deputy a little yeah yeah so well, most of them you know and that's exactly what i told them i'm from a little small town in montana and everybody seems to know montana now and i think a lot of it has to do with yellowstone the tv show which sidebar a lot of people in other countries don't understand the different languages don't understand cowboy so people actually translate it into horse pirate <laughs> for real that's awesome. i learned about the term horse pirate when i was over there and i'm like that is the coolest thing that ever. is awesome horse and pirate that's instead great. of cowboy and i can't remember what country it was but i was talking to some people and they're like yeah we don't understand cowboys so we had to explain it to them as horse pirates and i'm oh, like that I, is awesome my language is forever changed on cowboy <laughs> right horse yeah. pirate. but um, no i would tell them i'm from montana you know in the mountains and they must be like well this must not be so crazy for you because montana is full of mountains that's what montana means i'm like oh no this is totally different mountains and then they find out you're in law enforcement and that just opens up a whole nother world and then they see all my camera gear and like well you're a photographer too yeah and i mean they were just blown away by it wow you know? yeah yeah i can imagine so I, I find that anybody uh i don't know people are always interested in montana anyway for some right. reason there's a wildness here mm -hmm. um but people seem to be but yeah but this has got to be like small time when you get out there you're like oh that, those are those horizons and those mountain peaks around you were just like they're massive what was that like to be uh standing at the foot of those it was everything i imagined it would be i mean since i was 18 this is something i wanted to do and when i got there and just started standing you know here i am at 14 15,000 feet and these mountains are towering over me at 22 23,000 and just like how small we are oh, yeah. you know and how grand this planet is it was just you couldn't explain it i mean it was spiritual i totally had you know that kind of feeling the entire trip i was there um and just trying to take it all in it was almost too big to comprehend at times wow you know when you know there's pictures where i'm standing at sixteen thousand feet and i look like i'm at sea level with the way these peaks are rising above me it just yeah they just kept going up yeah yeah. Wow. It just it's just monumental. I mean, they're just unexplainable, I guess. Yeah. You know, to a point. And I mean, but even here, you know, I mean, when you go up the Beartooth Pass and you're starting to hike around there, I mean, it it feels that way at times. You get up on some of those and it looks like a 
picture. It doesn't even look real. It's yeah. so, you know, yeah. just so over. Yeah. yeah. And then going there and it's just a totally different feeling, you know. Wow. Uh, what was your first impressions when you got there? Like when you, you first get there, um, I mean, you get off the plane. Where did you Where did you come into? You so know? I went into Kathmandu. Okay. And I flew in there, and I didn't get there till like two in the morning, so it was dark. Ah. And the streets were pretty empty. Yeah. Um, I met my I met my guide, and uh, he took me to the hotel. Well, there was a my hotel that night was right next to a club, and so it, I didn't sleep. I mean, the club went to like four in the morning, so all I could hear is like uh, techno music going off yeah. till four in the morning. But I'm like, and and it didn't really register that I was here. Yeah. You know, then that next morning I meet my guide. He's like, let's go to the hotel you're supposed to be at. And uh, as soon as I walked outside and you could see the hustle and bustle of, of Kathmandu, you're like, yeah, now I'm here. And it was just like this giddy, like, I just laughed. I'm like, for 20 years I've wanted to do this. And now here it is. I'm here. And um, it took, it probably took that first day just to be like, yeah, this is actually happening. You know, and I was just, I was like a giddy little kid. Yeah. I mean, it was it was cool yeah yeah that's uh, i can it's like know, a dream come true like, yeah you got to be just walking around just being like holy cow like not this doesn't even feel real yeah. very surreal yeah super surreal it's like what the hell i'm actually doing this you know and what was your experience with the people over there as far as like i mean are people friendly I oh mean, yeah were they welcoming yep absolutely well i mean tourism is probably nepal's biggest money maker i mean there's i can't remember how many people they say a year go to Nepal for tourism because there's just not Everest. There's Annapurna, there's the jungles. I mean, I took an extra trip and went to the jungle when I got back from base camp. There's this whole country that's full of tourism. And so the people there are super accommodating, super nice. They want to have conversations with you. Um, I didn't feel any animosity being an American over there at all. Um, it was the exact opposite. They, like I had visited with the people at my hotel all the time. The security guy at the hotel, we, we visited every time we, we ran into each other. They were really helpful with directions. I mean, super, super nice. And the landscape is so varying over there. There's from like snow mountains, like you said, to jungle and yeah. all animals. And the and... jungle was in Nepal? Yeah, it was a cheat one. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, because I think most of the time I think we all just think of the we mountains. just think of snow mountains and you know that type, but you don't realize. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of varying. And it's a lot like here. I mean, when you say Montana, we think of mountains. We don't yeah. think of eastern Montana or the Badlands or the high plains up around Haver and that kind of thing. You know, we think of mountains. Yeah. So yeah, Nepal is the same way. Everybody thinks of Everest, the Himalayan mountains, but there's a whole landscape there: the jungle, the the river bottoms, the I mean, they have tons of farming around where I was at. So you got these great big fields of whatever, and they're growing seasons 12 months a year. So there's, you know, it's it's cool. I mean, and for me, I didn't really put two and two together either until I was actually there that there's more to Nepal than just the mountains. Yeah. You know. How were you, uh, how were you getting around most of the time? I mean, from Kathmandu to, I mean, from getting out, out traveling all the way out to like right. Everest, Everest Base Camp, how were you guys getting around? So from, normally you can fly from Kathmandu to Lukla, the Tenzing Hillary Airport, which is dubbed the most dangerous airport in the world. Um, but this time of year and for this year, the Ministry of Tourism and the government, they're like, no, we can't do that because there's too much traffic going in and out of the international airport. They picked a different airport, which was like a four hour car ride through the hills for like a 12 minute 
plane ride to Lukla. So I went, it's called, a, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation on most of these things, but it's like Ramshop is the name of the village. So it took four hours and I left like at two in the morning and uh, my, my company that I went through, Trekking Nepal Planner, they, they hired me a car and a driver and we drove through the mountains in the middle of the night, dropped into this little village and uh, I waited there for like an hour and a half, hopped on this plane, 22 minutes later I'm in, I'm in Lukla in the mountains. Why is it the most dangerous airport? Because it's at nine, almost 10,000 feet and the, oh. the runway, I have a picture of it, we'll look at it in a little bit, but the runway is going uphill and sideways. Oh. You know, yeah, and uh, the weather, there's a, there's a short, there's a short weather window. I'm not flying into anything. Yeah, I was about to like say, so you just identified a place we're never flying into. Never. Because. I have, oh, I have a fear, it's stupid, but. Yeah. It was like. But that's part of the adventure. Oh, to yeah. be like, I, I flew in this little airplane to this airport. I'm right there Sideways. With you, you know? <laughs> uh, but you would never know. I mean, the pilots there were so skilled. I mean, how many flights do they do a day through yeah. up there? You know, I mean, there was there was yeah. three planes, um, three different companies that were doing these flights. And it was like every 27, 28 minutes, here comes another one. Here comes another one. Here comes another one. They're taking people back. They're driving people there. Oh, wow. Um, and then so once I got to Lukla, it was my feet. My yeah. Kenetrek boots. Yeah. <laughs> and off we go. Wow. You know. And then uh, on the way back, the same the same thing. Went back to uh, Lukla and then hopped on the plane, flew down to the low country. That time I took a bus all the way back for to uh, Kathmandu and then stayed in Kathmandu a couple of days. Took another public transportation bus all the way over to the jungle, which is really hard when they don't speak any English. Oh, wow. You know, so I'm just trying to guess that. I'm on the right bus. Yeah. You know, they stop, they use the bathroom, they have these little kiosks where you can get food and stuff like that. And it's all, they're speaking, um, you know, in, in Nepali language. And you're like, well, I hope I find the right bus that I'm supposed to get onto. And I think he said 20 minutes. I'm not sure. So you just kind of keep the corner of your eye, look at that bus and make sure it doesn't leave. And I made it to the jungle um, at Chitwan. And then uh, thankfully, my, my company was super awesome. There was a guy holding with a sign holding my name. I walked over to him. We hopped in this little Toyota pickup and went to my lodge in the jungle. And then and he was, speak in English pretty good. Um, yeah, he spoke broken English. It was, okay. it was I mean, I could understand it. enough to where you were. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, I met my naturalist and he kind of laid me out for the four days I was in or three days I was in the jungle. And um, I used I uh, went around in a boat along the river. I took a Jeep ride through the interior of the jungle and then. Same thing on the way back, public transportation, the whole nine yards. Wow, amazing. And, and how long was that trip from there? I mean, in the public transportation to head out to the jungle. How long was that? that eight, ride? Hour, eight, eight hour hours. Eight hours. Yeah. Eight hour bus ride. <laughs> yep. And how was that bus, man? In the movie, this is why I ask this stuff, because in movies, it, I mean, you see people like stand. You picture people. There's like standing people on the roof, and... <laughs> and there's like goats walking by you in the side of the bus. I mean, is it like some stereotypical movie type scene, or is no, it? No, like... it was like a greyhound. Oh, really? You know, and we had assigned seats, so you couldn't sit wherever you wanted. But oh, so you had a seat, and you sat there, and I just thought, yeah, I'm like over here picturing, like, oh yeah, somebody's like. Well, I've ridden holding, a few buses in Mexico, and so handing a chicken to you, like for you to hold their chicken for a while or something. I yeah. don't know. And so when I went from Cancun to that's what um, we get from Chitsunisa, the movies. It was the same thing. I took a bus, but, and it was it was similar. Oh, so no, no, I don't know what buses. Yeah. I was in Mexico. No, no, no. Everybody was standing up. You were crowded. It was like oh, oh, oh no. yeah. No, we were all sitting down. It was crowded. You're all sitting down, and then uh, but the roadway. It's like the Beartooth Pass for eight hours oh man up and down up and down and there's 
you know, there's super narrow roads so, and we got yeah. motorcycles going around. Are they, are they paved? Are they all paved? No, it's like half I, and half. Because I've seen videos of that type of stuff where the, you, these little <clears throat> buses are just hanging on the sides of cliffs going yeah. right through there. That's what it was. Yeah, trails. You know, well, monsoon season lasted almost three weeks longer than normal. It normally doesn't. So a lot of roads were washed out and, you know, so you're, they got little one lane trails through, through where the road used to be and you're on pavement for a while, then it's gravel, then it's basically rock. And then, yeah, back, all the way through, it was, it was interesting. And it was, there wasn't a bad moment in the entire trip. I mean, everything added to the experience. Do you ever doze off in that bus or are you awake the whole time? Oh no, I did. I ended up getting sick. Really? Um, about, um, a oh. third of the way into my jungle trip. Picking up some kind of cold. Well, in the air quality in, in Kathmandu in Nepal is is pretty poor. Yeah, it's one of the most popular polluted areas in in the world. And uh, I got sick on top of you know being on the hike. You know, I mean, over a hundred miles of hiking. You know, fatigue the whole nine yards. Eating food that I'm not used to, water that I'm not used to drinking. So I got sick. I got a pretty good respiratory sickness a third of the way into the jungle. And so on the way home, on the way, jungle trip, on the way home, on the bus ride, I slept the whole way. I just oh, I could no longer stay awake, and then the plane ride all the way back to the states was kind of miserable, just because I was sick. Yeah, but not not it didn't make the trip any less amazing. I mean, yeah. that just that's just par for it. I mean, I, I assumed I would get sick at some point on yeah. the trip, so it didn't bother me. Wow, well, cool. Yeah. That's amazing, man. So you went down, you did three days in the jungle, then you headed back to Kathmandu. Yep, and then I took an extra day there. Just to explore the city a little bit, um, you know, it's, it's a two and a half million, I think, people wow. live in the city, and wow. I wanted I wanted to see it. I've never never been there. I might not ever go back. So I took yeah. an extra day, hung out at the jungle or hung out in Kathmandu, walked around all day, um, tried different foods, that kind of thing, and then uh, got to the airport the next morning at like midnight, hopped on a plane, and thirty eight hours later, I was landed in Bozeman. Thirty eight hours. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> And that was without any delays. I was going to say, like, yeah. how many yeah. planes was it? Um, so on the way there, it was a lot of plane changing. Bozeman to Seattle, Seattle to Vancouver, Vancouver to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Kathmandu. Oh, man, that's a oh lot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. On the way back, wasn't near as bad. So I flew from Kathmandu to Dubai. I had, like, a oh. six-hour layover in Dubai. And then uh, Dubai to Seattle, Seattle to Bozeman. What did so, you do for six hours in Dubai? Slept. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, wow. I, I thought about trying to leave the airport, but then I'd have to go through customs and the whole nine yards, and six hours probably isn't enough to even do any do yeah. anything. Yeah. So, but like my Hong Kong, on the way there, Hong Kong, we our plane was actually forty five minutes late, Ooh. and so I was freaking out that we're not going to get to go to Kathmandu. But there was like thirty two people on my flight that were on the next flight to Kathmandu, so they held it for us. And oh, nice. Then we landed in Kathmandu like at two in the morning, and wow. yeah. So that was the only hiccup in the entire flight. Wow, entire, that's pretty, both flights was that's pretty a, awesome. A little bit of a delay getting into Hong Kong. Wow, so. that's intense. Hey, so I'm going to set it up. Why don't you take us through some uh, through some pictures and tell us, give us a little bit of background on some of these? All right. Okay. All right. Let me see here. <laughs> I didn't even know you were going. I, I we. I, <laughs> I was standing up and you kind of started to talk, so I quickly just hit record because I didn't oh. know what was going to come out. Well, because I had this whole, like, I was going to namaste the whole nine yards and I didn't even know we were going. <laughs> <laughs> so namaste, yeah, and I mean, everybody, namaste, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. It was cool. Um, Let's see here. So we'll try to go in chronological order, but no promises. Boom. But got it. 
we're in there. All I can see is what's in front of me. So yeah, tap that picture one more time or something to get that top part off. Oh, okay, there, there we go. go. So that's from my hotel room. Um, I was on the sixth floor out of a seventh floor hotel room in in the Tamil district of uh, Kathmandu, and that's looking out over the city at night. Wow. Um, beautiful city at night. Oh, beautiful city all around. Yeah. I mean, even for a third world country, I thought it was a beautiful city. It was it was dirty. I mean, it was a typical third world country, a third world country city, but it was still, I mean, for me, it was beautiful. I enjoyed yeah. every second of it. So that's what I got to look out at, out of my window at my hotel in Tamil. That's incredible. When, did, I, when I was there after the trip and then on my extra day, I stayed at the same place the whole time. Wow. That's incredible. What is that? Is that one big complex right there for that place? Nope. Nope. So what we're looking at now, I mean, this, so right this immediate, it would be part of the Tamil district and those are the tops of, uh, the hotel owners. These are little hotels probably right around there. And then the owners live up on top and that's their living quarters. Ah, okay. So, um, and actually I think, um, the middle little area there might even be a restaurant. I can't remember for sure. But wow. there, I mean, it's, 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 Tamil is like their tourist district. I mean, there was tons of little shops where you buy all, you could buy everything you needed for the trip in Tamil district. Um, but there's really good hotels, really good restaurants. There's this restaurant that I ate there on the way back. My guide told me about it, Sudip. It's called the Avocado Cafe. And it was probably one of the best salads I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. And it's right in this district, right down from where I stayed. But yeah, that's Kathmandu at night. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, April would have us, uh, we'd be eating salad all the time if that's how it was. Uh -huh. yeah. But you're in a different country, you got to try everything. Oh, I, you know? I eat um, all sorts of things. Yeah. <laughs> so. so let me see if I can find right here. Yeah. So this was like a, a, the dinner I had with my, uh, with my guide company. The night I got there, he took me to a traditional Nepalese restaurant. This is called Dalbat. And uh, this is what they, I mean, there were people that ate that every day on the trek. It was bot. funny. I followed this uh, girl on TikTok, and she said she was so sick of eating that by the time she, because she went yeah. up to the base camp. It was seriously the same time you were going up to the base camp. She was posting TikToks going yeah. up to the base camp, and she's like, here we go. We're eating this again. We're eating this again. I'm so sick of this. <laughs> so by the end of the trip, I was I was getting tired of curry and garlic <laughs> and rice and noodles. I'm like, I need I need a ribeye steak is what I need. <laughs> but so I think on this on this one, and of course I'm going to try the most outlandish thing I can while I'm there. So yeah. the, the meat is goat. Um, and then that, that green is lentil soup. And then Ooh, it's just yum. the other stuff around it. And they eat it with their hands. Yeah. Yep. I'm not coordinated enough to eat it with my hands. So I had to use a fork. But uh, so that was the, the first dinner I experienced in, in Nepal was this Dalbat. And then, uh, yeah, so you can eat it the whole way up and every all the tea houses serve it. Um, I had it a couple of different times up on the up on the trek, um, but it turned out to be a lot of food. I learned the higher up I went in elevation, the less I had an appetite. Huh. Really? Which is weird because you're burning so many calories. But I was just to the point where I was like, I'm just I'm not hungry. You know, I, I was I was down in the water. I mean, they say you should average about three liters of water a day, and so I was making sure I drank the water. But as far as like my food, man, I was by the end of the trip, I was just like, I'm not hungry anymore. Is that typical? I, I mean, don't know. Were they saying that's typical? I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't know if it was an elevation thing. Did you find that you were less thirsty at those higher elevations? No. Huh. No, but I drink a ton of water all the time anyway. I yeah. Mean, just from working out and stuff all the time. So, no, I didn't figure I was any less thirsty, but I was not near as hungry. And I don't know if that was just me or yeah. if it's an elevation thing, an altitude thing, but I never got altitude sickness. So, I mean, I was wow. doing okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was the doll bot. And then, uh, the next morning 
Oh, here's no, nope, that's not at the bar. I did find an Irish pub. Really? The day I was the day the day I had at Kathmandu before my trip, and I'm like, I gotta go find a beer. They have a local beer there, um, a couple of breweries. So it was like a Sherpa. I can't remember the name of the company, but Sherpa something beer, super good. I had a red ale, of course. I'm gonna try all the beer I can while I'm somewhere. Yeah. And then I um, so you're at an Irish pub, but then they're serving Nepalese food. It was kind of cool. Um, and then getting ready to go. There's my gear. Oh, man. You know, and so for the entire trip, I was allotted 33 pounds. Really? Yep. Um, part of the reason is the plane that I take. Right. They um, got to figure out. You got to figure out the, the. How much you're going to be, how much weight they're going to be transporting. Yep. All that. So yeah. they break it all down. And then there's actual laws on how much a porter can carry in Nepal. Ah. And uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but so my my porter carried about. 22 23 pounds and i carried the other five or six yeah you know most of my stuff most of that was camera gear you know so a lot of people could probably have a little bit more gear than i had but i had three camera lenses camera body four batteries that stuff adds up fast oh yeah you know um but yeah there's all my gear for the entire trip i did buy that down jacket while i was in uh Kathmandu, and i'm glad i did because the one i took wouldn't have been heavy enough when we got to the elevation i'm gonna turn this over right here april so you can see those <clears throat> oh, perfect can you see that yep perfect yeah. thank you so but i mean you got the the wind stopper jacket the down jacket a couple I'm of seeing two rolls of toilet paper that was the first thing that jumped out at me right there yeah so they don't have toilet paper they do at the tea houses it's expensive to buy wow you're responsible for your own huh you know so yeah two two minimum yeah. You know, um, <laughs> made sure I had that right away and quality stuff. You don't want your fingers going through it, you know, right. yeah. in the middle of the night up there. And then they don't have uh so a lot of the tea houses don't have Western toilets. Some do, some don't, but some of them just have the hole in the, in the ground with the yeah. tile around it and it's, it's pop the squat and go, Yeah, yeah. you know, no running water. And so you take a bucket and flush it down with a bucket and a, and a handle, you know, or a, a water type going down. So that was that took a little bit of experience to get used to, but um, my journal, which I ended up not using very much, I was using my phone for the most of it, and then a uh, couple pairs of pants, wool shirts, socks, underwear. Um, Is your camera gear in that photo also? Yep. Yep. Is it bottom center? Yeah, bottom center. There's okay. So that little red bag had filters and extra batteries. There's a battery charger there next. Oh, to I'm it. seeing some lenses up. Yep, up behind the. Yeah, lenses behind the water bottle. Yeah. Um, water filtration, set up the whole nine yards. All my clothing was wool. I mean, that was paramount. Everything was wool. Um, How cold was it up there? Well, that this time of year when I went, it wasn't super bad. So like the first three days, I was in a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, hiking. And it like it was hiking through Montana. You know, you're at 9,000 to about 12,000 feet um, in there. And I considered it lowland to me. Um, but it's just like hiking through here, Montana. I mean, it was steeper, but it, it wasn't yeah. any bad. And then once we got to about 12,000 feet, the wind would blow a little bit and it got cold. And I think the day I was at base camp, Fahrenheit-wise, it was like 22 below that morning. Oh, that was a little chilly. You know, but... It, I mean, to me, it wasn't bad because I was so excited to be there. I mean, yeah. I could have been in shorts and a tank top. Yep. Yeah. So, and then um, electrolytes in that little bag, that was a pretty big deal. I mean, I sucked down the electrolytes every day just to replay. You sweat. No matter how cold it is up there, you sweat all the time. So. Yeah. A lot of activity. I yeah. Mean, and then. Uh, all the hiking you're doing. But that's it. That was my gear for the entire 
That's I mean, it. I want to say I took more shit with me to Mexico. Yeah. Than I did, you know, here. Man, I we you can't know. seem to pack light for nothing. Oh man, you. Yeah. I don't know. Going on a trip I'm looking with at us, that and I'm like, is... oh, that's like overnight for us to yeah. Bozeman. Yeah. But I mean, you're like, <laughs> so for me, I mean, you can only take so much. So it's like, well, do I want more underwear or more socks? Exactly. You're gonna be wearing them multiple days. Yeah. I came home back to Kathmandu with like three pair of clean underwear. <laughs> yeah. I should have took more socks because my socks were getting pretty bad by the end of yeah. the trip. Yeah. You know, and so, but for me, and I, I seem to sweat like crazy, no matter what, like my boots are uninsulated up until it's like 40 below outside, you know, wow. even here, I mean, coyote hunting the whole night. I mean, I, I sweat just sitting there. Mm. So on this trip, my feet would start sweating like crazy. So in the middle of the day, I'd change out socks. So I got socks hanging off my backpack to dry for the next day. So I was just going back and forth. And I should have took two more pairs of socks, I think. And, and two skip less, the underwear. <laughs> skip the chonies because I didn't need them. Um, but you get creative, you know, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, I should probably wear these inside out today just in case. <laughs> did you, uh, did they give you a packing list or did you have to yeah, just so, come yeah. up with all this? No, there's packing lists and there's, I mean, a hundred YouTube videos where like, yeah. this is what I took. This is what I didn't uh, take for the this, time. You did a lot of this research. This is what I wish I would have taken. <laughs> yeah. And I had, I had intentions of doing the same thing, but I have a whole bunch of video that I haven't even looked at yet and maybe I'll get to it one day. But I think there is a video of this stuff here um, that shows it a little better than just the picture. Gear video. All right, here we go. So that green bag before we start, that's what um, everything had to fit in except for the stuff that I had in my backpack. And then that's what my porter carried oh. the entire trip. So let's see. Yeah, this is only like a 14-second video. Oh, man. Yeah. It looks like more stuff now that it's moving. It's not. It's amazing what it. you can, like, all fit and compact into. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so, well, and in contrast, so that was, and I was two pounds under. This was 30 pounds, exactly. And I think with the with the conversion, it was 33 pounds is what I could have. This was just 31 pounds, I think, with everything there. And for a six-day trip through the Beartooth, my pack weighs, like, 48 pounds to start with. Yeah. I'm just like, so now I'm excited to try to do another trip through here. And I'm like, man, I can cut my backpack in half. As you far didn't as take goes. any food though, right? Did you? Are like bars, like type protein bars and stuff? There was a few snacks in there, not much. Um, most of it you bought along the trail. Yeah. And I was really big on trying to give to the country and give to the economy that I could. So, you know, if we were going through a little village and I needed a snack, you were buying it. I'd yeah. buy it there. Yeah, per, I know. would have too. Yeah. So, but yeah, no food and. Each day we stay at a tea house, um, and uh, there's you get food there. And so through my guide company, uh, Trekking Nepal, that was all set up in advance. So when I get there, you know, you're allotted so much food. You know, you're like, well, if you spend more than this, you got to pay extra type of deal. But get there, my room's already ready to go. The porter was there ahead of me, dropped my bag off so I could change my clothes right away. Um, and then go down to the tea house, grab some tea, whether it be black tea, green tea, mint tea, some masala. I love masala now. Uh. Super good. I drank a ton of masala. And then uh, hang out, relax, have some, uh, have some food, you know, and then uh, go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. Uh, that was, awesome. It was so cool. So once you get going, and if we need to speed things up, we can, we can oh. skip around. No, so. man, we can talk all. We got time. Let me see where are we at. Um, come on now. 
I should have. How old was your porter? My porter was 22. Okay. Um, and my guide was 26. And my guide was actually from the Gurkha region in Nepal. And I'm sure if you heard Gurkhas, they were the uh, British special yeah. forces. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I he's from he's from that. He was from that area of Nepal. Okay. And he guides all over the country through for, through this country through this. I think company. they had a specialty knife too. Yeah. That they were known for. Yep. And then my my porter was actually from the region. He was um, from the Sherpa region there in uh, in the Himalayas. But so this is the airport that we left from. Four and a half hour drive, like I alluded to earlier. Earlier, and this flight from the time I got on the plane to the time I landed and got off the plane was like twenty two minutes. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you're flying through the flying through the mountains and um, they're beautiful mountains though. Look at those. Oh. Yeah, but I I think here we're is this like, the runway you were saying was nope. kind of leaning? Nope. So this is this is Ramshop, Ramshop Airport. Let's see if we can get rid of that. There we go. So that's Ramshop Airport. Um, it's like at three thousand feet. I mean, it's no more higher than here, you know. And yeah. then we hop in the plane, do your thing. And let's see, I should have. You know, this reminds me when I was a kid, we used to do slideshows. My parents would go on trips. Yep. And then convert everything to slides. Oh. And that was a big treat was like pop some corn, turn the living room lights off and set up the screen and do a slideshow. Oh, fun. Did lots of, and then that's, sometimes we'd be like, do you guys want to do a slideshow this weekend? We all sit there and watch old trips. Anyway. (laughs) So there's Lukla. So this is after I landed. Okay. Um, and you can see right there, there's a hill right yeah. in the middle of the runway, and yeah. it just drops off the mountain right there. Oh, oh wow. So, but that's arriving at the airport. Um, and I didn't have to wear that down jacket, but in order to save weight, yeah, I wore the down jacket because it had pockets, and so I was shoving <laughs> shit in my pockets to keep to keep the weight yeah. in my bags under where I needed to be. They always say you wear the heaviest stuff. Yep. Yeah, so I was sweating. So, I mean, so this is at 9,000 9, feet or just a little above, so it wasn't cold at all. I mean, for me, it wasn't cold, and I was sweating like crazy already. You know, we hadn't even started trekking yet. <laughs> um, but then there's another one here. So this is when we're leaving. So that's the that's getting on the plane on the way out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Man, look at those mountains in the background. I know. Yeah. And then I did have videos, but it's on my GoPro. Like I said, I haven't even looked at them yet. Yeah. Of flying through there in the whole nine yards. And then and then we're off to hike, you know. Um, and once you uh, start hiking, how, how far do you got to hike to get up in there? Oh, you start right away. Um, like the first day, I think we went six miles. Yeah. And stayed. Um, oh, let's see. Where did we stay? Finbochi, maybe I don't know. I have it on my phone where we stayed the first day. And you were saying you did a hundred miles, so is that there and back to all yeah. round round trip? Yep. Yeah. So the actual trip itself, if you stayed on the trail, is like eighty six miles. But you have acclimation days where you're hiking higher, coming lower, um, walking around the village. Like I walked around Labochi um, or Dingbochi. I'm sorry um, for because we were there for an extra day to um, acclimate. And mm-hmm. so we hiked up from there to 16,000 feet back down. And then I spent the whole day walking around the village, going to different coffee shops, different tea houses, that kind of thing. And so like that day alone where most people are like, yeah, we might do four miles. I did like 11 oh, man. just because I wanted to see everything. Yeah. You know? So for me, the entire trip was like 113 miles Oof. all on foot. And I would have done 150. It didn't bother me. Yeah. I loved it. It was, it was awesome. I'm trying to remember where I stayed the first night. I have to look on my journal. My online one. Do you keep a 
Oh, okay, online journal. Well, I did it on here because, um, like, by the time I went to bed, the solar power was pretty much gone, and so there was no lights. Oh. You know? So it was just easier to do it on here. Yeah. Um, Fakdin is where I stayed the first night. Mm. It was a six-mile hike, and it reminded me of, like, hiking to Mystic Lake. I mean, that's okay. what it was like, up and down to Mystic Lake. It wasn't that bad at all. Um, I was just starstruck by like I'm actually here doing this you know um, but so that morning I didn't realize it would take four hours to drive to Ram shop and then get on the plane and then I sat there at the airport for like an hour and a half while they did all their pre-checks and everything like that and gone through their security and made sure my bags weighed everything like that so an extra hour and a half and then as soon as I got to Lukla and met my guide and he explained to me what we were doing I had some black tea and then we were off hiking I didn't eat breakfast yeah. You know, so I've been up since two in the morning, didn't eat any breakfast. And now we're hiking for six miles, but it was, it wasn't bad at all. And then got to Fakdin and you know, that was the beginning of the trip. Yeah. Just so cool. But, and then the how tea- was, how, so, so you go to these tea houses. So how were meals scheduled out or how did you, you know, as you're doing these hikes and everything, you're not carrying food with you. Nope. So how did you, how did that work? Um, sorry, I was trying to find, I had a picture of one of the tea houses in here where I stayed. Well, you should, I mean, since it was already set up through my company, as soon as I get there, I drop my gear off. Um, I could have some tea and then I could pretty much eat whenever I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, cause it was already paid for. Um, but most of the time dinner was like between 6 PM and 8 PM mm-hmm. is when we ate dinner. Um, and then, you know, hung out. You hung out and visit. That's where you visited with people. I mean, that's where everybody was at. So, huh, I can't find it now. Somewhere in here. There was a picture of the tea house with my sleeping bag and everything on it, but. Hmm. Maybe, I don't know what happened. Maybe we're missing pictures somewhere in here. I don't know. Oh, well. uh, it wouldn't have been dropped down in those lower files mixed in. It could have been. It could have been. But, um, well, here, this is skipping ahead, but this is what every tea, and this was a busy tea house. Um, this was in Dingbochi. Um, and uh, this was an acclimation day. And so there's, t- oh, there's double the amount of people here that would normally be in a tea house because there's some people that have already been there a day that are acclimating. Uh-huh. And so they're getting ready to leave. There are people coming in. So this is a tea house. Um, you know, and that's what it sounds like the whole time. Yeah. Huh. I wonder yeah. how many languages are being spoken in that room. Uh, oh, well, so these people right here, Uva and his wife, they ended up staying at the same tea houses the entire up, way up and back that I did. They're guide was friends with my guide and so I got to hang out with this couple the entire trip we became pretty good friends by the end and they're from Germany Um, and they go all over the world backpacking I mean that's kind of their thing but uh, so I got to hang out with Uva and his wife the entire trip and got to use my German that I haven't used for you know 15 years when I lived over there but uh, but yeah so there was in this alone there were Germans Russians Afghanis Iraqis um Americans, English, Irish. I mean, it was it was a conglomeration of, of different countries, which made it super cool, you know. Yeah. So, 
but that's what the tea houses are like. And that one was super busy because like I said, that's where we acclimate for the day. Um, there were a couple of tea houses where it was me and, and Uva and his wife. And that was it, you know, just like the three or four of us in the tea house. And then, uh, um, Gorik Shep is the last village before base camp. And it has seven tea houses, I think. And they were full every day. I mean, and I ended up hitting it more. It was busier than I imagined it would be. Um, so Everest isn't climbing Everest this time of year when I went in October, November isn't as popular because of the wind. And so it's harder to stay at the camps because of the wind, but all the other peaks around it are prime climbing. And so they're climbing Amadalum, they're climbing, um, uh, now I'm drawing a blank on all the different peaks around there. But, yeah. And I, I just saw a documentary on that guy who'd climbed like, um, oh, the 14, he did it in less than a year or six yep. months or yeah, I, I so, can't remember what the, yeah, like, nothing's impossible. Yeah. By, uh, and he was hustling to those peaks. Yep. Yeah. And there were so many of them right there in that area. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So like for where I was at, you can climb Amidalem, um, Island Peak, uh, Lobochi, Lopsi, Nutsi. Um, so there's a bunch of different peaks that you can climb. And so Gorik Shep was pretty busy. Um, because there's a lot of climbing and it's, it's a busy season, which I thought it wasn't going to be. And so that was kind of taken back. Like, well, I'm not on this trip alone. There are people everywhere, but it, yeah. it didn't take away from it at all because once you got to a certain elevation, people were faster or slower and you were pretty spread out and I, you couldn't, you didn't know there was a whole bunch of people there, but at night in the tea houses, it was kind of nice to have oh, yeah. people from all over the world. So yeah, I would figure it would add to the experience. Yeah. So, let's see. Yeah, there's pictures. Some oh, right there. Wow, I couldn't. Remember that. So that's what the tea house rooms look like. This is a nice one. This is in Fakding. This is the first night, um, and it's a super nice tea house. So by the time I got to Gorkshep, it was just plywood, with no pictures, like or no windows. They had like a piece of plastic for a window. Oh wow. Um, this one had power. Um, but. After this, it was solar power, and so there is that no is that really a bed or is that like a futon? What is no, that? it's a bed. So most of them had uh, basically plywood two by four stand yeah. with a little mattress on it, and that's what you slept on. Yeah, you know, oh man, that room is tiny. That that's all like a wide shot, but I bet you that room is tiny, huh? Oh, probably eight foot by eight foot. Yeah, you know, but it's all you need. You're just there to sleep. Yeah, yeah of course. So and then a window. And I yeah. opened up every window I could to try to dry my stuff out, especially my shoes there. Yeah. But yeah, that's what you're living out of for that's great. the entire time of the trip. So, but they all, they're all similar to that. Yeah. And for those couples, I mean, you're they get a, a lot of, yeah, a lot of them had two beds in that same amount of room. Wow. You know, <laughs> so, but let's see. And then after that day, the next one was Namche, which is a super famous village it's up on the side of a hill in this little ravine um but here's namche i'll do a video so this is my one of my acclimation days so i'm up above namche oh. and so this is what the village looks like from up higher that is so cool and then you pan up and you get to see Condoria and some other oh peaks. man the mountain just keeps going yeah as you go up yeah so but that's Namche. And so, I mean, it's one of the most famous cities in wow. Nepal. Um, uh, yeah. It's a beautiful city. Irish pub there, too. 
Yeah, I found every, I found every Irish pub I could. That's so funny. <laughs> yep. Um, and there's actually, and it's on my GoPro. I haven't put it down yet, but there was, I found a license plate from Montana in the, in the, in the Irish pub. And so I signed the wall right next to it with my name, the date, you know, that's and so funny. Like that. So it'll be forever more memorialized. Somebody took a, it. somebody took a Montana license plate all the way over there. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's see, I should have a couple other ones of, uh, Namche. And I think there's like, so in contrast, there's 55 tea houses in Namche. That's how, oh, wow. I mean, it's a big village compared oh, wow. to the seven at Gork Shep. Um, so this is the view out of my, out of my tea house room. Oh my gosh. In the morning. Gorgeous. Yeah. That's what I woke up to. So beautiful village. Um, you know, there was actually, there was like a North Face store. There, huh. So you could, you know, gear. There was people selling stuff all the time along the along the road, and it's steep. Wherever you go, you had to walk up or downstairs, you know, just because it's on the side of the mountain like that. Yeah. And I want to say this is like at eleven thousand feet. Jeez. You know, eleven thousand feet. Which. That's okay. I'd, I'd have migraines or something because of the altitude. Yeah, I didn't get any headaches until I got to about fifteen, sixteen thousand. Very minor, and then I had a pretty good headache at about seventeen thousand five hundred for about 24 hours and then after that I was fine um let's see but yeah so you spend about a day there to acclimate and relax and then you start hiking again um man I did a really bad job of trying to organize these didn't I um yeah, it's, and it's no sweat it's cool that they pop up you find them um one time one time my brother and I we we were in uh, Colorado. I was staying with Ken, and uh, we were in like his little Jeep. I can't remember what it was. And we drove up on top of this 14,000 peak, found a spot up there. And we tried to sleep in his Jeep that night. And I woke up, like to go from just wherever, down wherever, whatever Denver is, uh, to up to that 14,000. I woke up in the middle of the night. He was nauseated. I had a massive migraine, massive headache. And we woke up in the middle of the night and the wind is howling up there. It's just rock, you know, there's no yeah. vegetation. And we're all of a sudden I'm like, dude, I am not feeling good. <laughs> He's like, I'm not feeling good either. And yeah. we were like, I think we need to drive down off this mountain. And like, we didn't even think about it. And then it was like, um, we were above the clouds and we're coming down into the clouds and you're trying to find which rocky trail we came up and we're like, can't even think straight about how to get down this hill. Like it was almost a little scary coming down. We're like, which way did we come up? I don't even recognize this. Like I have no clue where we are. I'm like just keep going down. Whatever looks down, go down. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh anyway, it yeah. took quite a while to get down and like get the, get rid of that headache. Yeah. But, but just that. Yeah, and and they tell you you're going to have a headache and they there's a, a medicine that you can take for it and a lot of people do. Um dioxamil or something like that is what it's called. I didn't take any. I bought some. Um, but I didn't want to take any kind of medication if I didn't have to. Yeah. Um, and I know it wouldn't have altered my state of mind or anything like that, but yeah. I didn't think it would be part of the adventure to yeah. have to take it. And I'm, and I'm kind of like got that, well, we, when we talked about it before, I mean, the mountain men are my heroes and I'm like, well, yeah. they didn't, they didn't have any damn medicine. <laughs> yeah. So me, I'd like, have been chewing on those things before I even landed in Catman. Yeah. Do. And, and so I was like, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to take any of that. And, and so you use natural remedies. Yeah. Garlic was yeah. a big one. Um, that's why I got so tired of garlic because they like loaded up with everything. And when they know you're not from the area, they're like, well, you need more garlic. 
uh, you know, they put in your. Food. The electrolytes, I'm sure, helped a lot. Yeah. that was a big, a big one. That's that's hey, that's a pure way to go have like to go have a pure experience though. Yes, yeah. is, is just yeah. go feel it. I downed the electrolytes. I mean, I had at least three liters of water a day, and probably two of those had a, a thing of electrolytes in them. And then drinking the tea, breathing had a lot to do with it. So yeah, I had a headache when I got to Gork Shep that night. I didn't sleep very good. Um, there were a couple of night where I'd wake up at night at Gork Shep, and I'm sucking down air because the oxygen level was so low up there and i was like my body's like you're dying you don't have enough oxygen and it took about 30 seconds to just calm your breathing down and then i was able to go back to sleep um and then that morning when i woke up at gorkshep i had a pretty bad headache but four hours into trekking on the way back down it was gone mm. um, so i didn't really want to take any any medications if i didn't have to um so here i'm drinking tea um masala that's Amidalum in the in the background. That one that has the two points on it. Yeah. Um, so Everest would be. There's a little bit of cloud wisp over there, on that one in the far back. Okay. That's Everest. Wow. And then I see it. Lotsi and Nupsi are the ones in front of it that still have the snow cap on them. Um, but yeah, that's that's, that's on top intense. of Namshi. So that was cool to have tea at. And I think we're at twelve thousand. Twelve thousand right here. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just a, uh, we're a little bit lower than granite peak gosh and yeah. you're still a long ways away you're still hiking toward that base camp this was only day two and how many days total are we looking to get 13. there 13 oh no eight eight up nine up and four back oh man something like that um but yeah so this was cool drinking masala tea yeah at this little little cafe up on top of the um on top of nam bazaar there but yeah, yeah so that wild. was the masala tea and then uh here we are hiking out. That's the next day after that. Um, that behind me is the trail along the okay. mountainside there. I and see that's it. Heading up that valley to Everest because there's Everest again in the far back. Yeah. You know. That what it looks that wispy uh, cloud coming off the top of it. Nope, it's the one behind it even. So okay. you see the wispy clouds and uh -huh. the, right behind it, the next one is Everest. I see. Yeah. Okay. And that's something I didn't realize is that you can't see all of Everest ever on this entire trip you always see the top ah you know but it didn't take away from anything that i ever imagined it would be so but that's the hiking out and then uh it just uphill from there the entire lots of uphill yep lots of uphill but like from namche bazaar you're at twelve thousand, and you end up at 18 18 4 18 5 at base camp so it's it's all uphill let's see that's that's somewhere between, <clears throat> oh, this might be between Lukla and Namche. I don't know, but that's my guide, Sudip. Okay. Um, he was a cool guy. Really good English, um, super knowledgeable about the area. I mean, he does a dozen or more of these guides a year just on this Everest Base Camp trek. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know? Oh, man, he's in shape. So, you know what? He is, but on the way out that last day, I was ahead of him the whole time. Yeah? Yeah, I felt pretty good about that. I'm like, ha. Huh. I wasn't pretty. I was in good shape for the trip. For him, he's like ah, another day at work. Pretty much, you know. <laughs> for me, I'm still in awe, drooling, yeah, yeah. drooling like a Got little kid. Still over this. some adrenaline from yeah. it all. But he's a really good guy. Really super friendly. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better guide. For my, you look like you're superimposed in front of that scenery behind you there. I mean, yeah. it just looks unreal. Yeah. yeah, but just so cool, so steep, you know. But yeah, everywhere you look, it was just like that the entire time. So, that's incredible. Yeah. 
let's see what else do we got in here that's along the trek um what's the monastery right there oh tenbochi monastery that's a buddhist monastery up on uh i want to say this is fourteen thousand feet 15 almost fifteen thousand feet um it's up on this big hill over you go over a pass and it's up on top of the hill um a lot of people only go this far from where they i think this was day day three maybe but you stay here a lot of people stay here i went to the next pass i mean i was feeling good we were able to go another four or five miles um but i got to go inside the monastery mm. with a with a buddhist monk um no pictures or anything like that they wouldn't let you in i had to take my shoes off take my pack off i couldn't talk um, but I got to go through this monastery with this uh, with this Buddhist monk, and this area is primarily um, Hindu. Hmm. But this this Buddhist monastery in there um, was pretty cool, and it's a little village. There's like four or five tea houses here. Um, Any sense of the age of this place? How old? I have it written. It I have it written down somewhere, huh. but it's been that's um, so cool. It's been there forever. I'm sure we could look it up but I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, how amazing. Yeah. But it was a really cool spot. Um, but you can see it on the way there and on the way back. So like on the way back, we were all hiking together and uh, got a picture of it with me and the... Oh, right here. So there we okay. are. Ah. That's the morning on the morning we were going back. So that's Kumal. That was uh, Uva and his wife's guide, Stephanie. And then me and Sudip. And where was this at? This is at Tobochi. This is at the monastery. Yeah. 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 But like right after this, it's like a big, on the way back, it's like a big downhill. Ah, I have so many questions about this yeah. place. So, but this was a super cool place. Like they don't, you don't talk while you're in this whole area, you yeah. know, super reserved, super quiet, show respect, you know, the yeah. whole nine yards and loved it. And uh, like I said, going inside was, was cool. Were you able, was there any sounds? I mean, anything going on there? No. Sometimes you can go in there during prayer time. There's no music. There's nothing. No, nothing. Nothing. Quiet. Super mm. quiet. Wow. Um, yeah. But that was that was that was a cool, and and I mean, so many people get to see it, and not very many people take the opportunity to go inside. So I made sure and took that opportunity. Yeah. Um. Is this a this? Do we already do this one? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we already did that one in yep. Tivochi, but yeah, it was a really cool spot. So, let's see. April is all. Are these pictures giving you Far Cry Four vibes? <laughs> I didn't want to bring bit. it up, but that's. Yeah, we've been playing Far Cry Four. Oh, and it takes place all up in these mountains. We play co-op yeah. with each other. It looks just like the the monastery yeah. and all the colors and all the mountains. So there's your. So this is before Namche Bazaar, but that's called the Hillary Bridge. Oh. Huge suspension bridge that you walk across the canyons. There's a ton of those on this trek. That's really? Cool. Yeah. Oh, uh, I'd, yeah. I'd love to walk across this bridge with April. Monastery was built in 1916. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's old, but it's <sighs> terribly old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You, you going across that bridge? Well, I would. Yeah. I couldn't get that far not go across it. Well, you only have like 14 of them on this trek to do. Yeah. This is oh, the longest man. So by the, by the end of it, you're like, oh, it's nothing. So in total, you're doing it like 28 times back and forth. But So there, you're on there. There's cows on there. There's cows mules and donkeys that are, you know, that's how they take all their equipment across. Yeah. I mean, just crazy. Oh, man. And they're super solid. You I know. was going to ask you, are they rickety? No. You feel like you're like Indiana no. Jones? Not at all. They're super solid. They hardly move. Huh. You know, and then you notice the prayer flags. Yeah. So 
um, the more worn the par- prayer flag, the more prayers it's sent out. <laughs> so ah. worn, worn, frayed prayer flags are the, the new ones. Are, I mean, they just got there, but the more the more worn they are, the more prayers that have been sent out with from them. So that was cool. There were prayer flags everywhere, and that's actually that's Buddhist. And again, like I said, it's like a primarily Hindu area, but they adopted the Buddhist prayer flags. And, huh. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Because you always see the flags. I didn't realize, I didn't know they were prayer flags. Yep, prayer flags. Let's see. Here's another suspension bridge. I don't think, this one's not Hillary, but. Have you gone through all these with your kids? Shown them all? Uh-huh. A lot of them. So, yeah, so, I mean, there's quite a bit of people on that bridge. Yeah, there is. You know. And this one's a lower bridge down below before you get out of tree line. So we're probably around eight, 9,000 feet here. It's wild that that thing doesn't look like it's above the ground very far. Right here, it's not. I mean, they're right here, probably six, seven foot above the ground. And then once it goes across the canyon, then it's okay, pretty high. But they start out low. Most of them do. Um, but like I said, they're all over up there. Um, well, here, once you get up high, there's a there's a little horse. And there were people with riding those all the way to base camp. It is a little horse, huh? They're not very yeah, tall. Yeah, they're not very tall at all. Or maybe, gosh... I'm not good at measuring horses, but maybe yeah. nine, ten hands. They're small. Yeah. Wow. Super small. Hardy. But, yeah. I don't know if I would have been on one because once you get so high, we're walking through the glacier in this old, you know, lake bed around Gorkshep and there's all these rocks and everything like that. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be on a horse, but they're super. I mean, that's where they live. That's Yeah, that's their terrain, know. huh? Yeah. So... And I can't. We ate lunch here at this spot. And there's and people are riding these horses, or are they leading them? On no, those, they're riding on them. those. I mean, on those suspension bridges. No, they ride them. Wow. Yeah. So there's a suspension bridge right behind the horse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. You know, going across the the river right there. there there's a river right here. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But and then you keep going higher and higher and higher. Um, yeah. Like here, here's one of the days. So we on the way. You know, this is lunch. So I'm eating lunch there. There's uh, fried rice. Man, with, I'd, I'd be with, all over this. With eggs. Yeah, I'd be Perfect. all over that. Perfect. Yeah. Um, meat. I didn't eat very meat very often while I was there. It was pretty much a vegetarian diet. Um, they don't have a whole lot of refrigeration, so the meat that's there has come up on yak or cow or mule or donkey. So it's whatever temperature is outside is pretty much what it is. Um, I did try eating meat one night and got super sick. I mean, Oof. stomach problems right there. And so I stayed like, yeah, I'm not going to eat meat. So a lot of eggs, a lot of rice, a lot of noodles. Yeah. But this is lunch. Looks filling, you know, man. With a couple of couple of gla- a couple of cups of tea. Um, that scenery in the background still doesn't look real. It looks like one of those fake like uh, school <laughs> backdrops. Yeah. That's funny. Um, and then this is the there's a bridge right there behind me. Oh, okay, that's what that is. Yep. So, yeah, eating eating lunch every day and views like that, I didn't complain about. Yeah. Ever. Wow. Yeah. And are they are they able to, I mean, are they able to run that? Are there are people going up there year-round? Yeah. Well, monsoon season is pretty minimal. I mean, it's okay. raining so hard and stuff like that that they don't have much of a climbing season. Um, in the winter, it's way less, but they still do trips in the winter their winter um and then spring is a super busy time and then when i was there it was pretty busy okay in october november so 
and then you're in the national park. This is all national park. Um, so we had to buy passes and everything like that okay. to get through. Um, I thought it was on here. It might be on Instagram, but I had a picture of like the entrance through the park. Um, how long did it take to, for you to get like permits or, or what you had to... 20, 20 minutes. Really? Yeah, it didn't take too, super you long. You didn't have any like waiting period on anything to get any of this? Not really. No. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't have it in here. I thought I did. I thought I had a picture of one of the entrances through the parks. Um, were you uh, Were you meeting a lot of people that this wasn't their first time? I mean, oh, yeah. are people doing this multiple times and, yeah. and it's just a regular thing? Yeah, which I thought was, was interesting. Um, but yeah, a lot of people are like, well, this is my third time. Ah. I just love it here so much. This is my third time. Or they do different routes to the base camp because there's more than one um there's the one that i did and there you could have gone through uh, three passes which you go up through these mountain passes wrap back around end up at base camp type of deal um, a lot of people would hike up and then take a helicopter ride back ah i think that's i don't know it's only half the trip to me yeah you know i mean maybe if you've done it a few times but i don't know i don't yeah. think i still no i kind of i agree with you on that one yeah I would feel like I was copping out, flying out of there. Yeah. Or and a lot of people were getting evac'd out because they were having altitude problems too, every day. Oh, you know, man. I seen I saw people getting evac'd out. They just had, they couldn't handle the altitude. That's got to be, yeah. that's got to be expensive. So. Do you buy insurance for this, uh, for this trip? Yes. So you're required to buy travel insurance that includes a helicopter evac if you need it. But it wasn't bad. I think I went through Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Travel, something like that. And I think it was like 170 bucks for the entire time I was in Nepal. Yeah. And that included, the you know, if my plane got delayed or something like that, or I had, I missed a flight that included trying to get a new flight or something like that, but really super cheap. And I was expecting it to be super expensive, but travel insurance isn't bad at all. And you were saying that your your phone didn't work up there, but are other guys like your guide? He's on the phone up there. Yeah. So I used an international plan, so I had spotty service here and there. A lot of people, and I didn't know about this until it was too late, that you can buy a SIM card there oh. and use their cell service. I um, see. I didn't do that, but uh, yeah, there was cell service the whole way up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, like I said, it's you know basically third world mountain living but we're all on cell phones you know um jeremiah johnson he didn't have a cell phone out there no he didn't no no but uh yeah and then let's see here's a one of my favorite places in the whole track was called dingbochi and that was a place where we acclimated so this was at uh, fourteen thousand feet and then we end up at sixteen thousand feet on the hiking up above it but this is one of my favorite villages on the entire trip Oh, okay. Wow, is, look at that shot. Yeah, this is just a picture of the mountains from uh, from Cafe Himalaya, and they had a whole little museum in there to uh, Hillary. A really? Bunch of, a bunch of pictures yeah. of some of his original climbing equipment and stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah. Do you see that shot, April? Yeah. Uh, how those clouds are kind of almost kind of, I don't know how what they're doing right there, but yeah. how they're kind of ringing that whole mountain. Yeah. And uh, most, this wasn't, this was not normal for the trek most of the time it was super blue skies which i was hoping for this more often for pictures but it was super blue sky and i didn't put any on here but if you go to instagram there's some pictures and i put one up today of nupsi 
and it's all lit up by the sun and there's clouds all around it at sunset super nice and that's what i was hoping for but i only got it like one night of the entire trip i was yeah. actually looking up the elevation of darjeeling i've always wanted to go to darjeeling mm -hmm. and i was like well i know it's at the base of the himalayas like how up is that because it's making me nervous it's not that high actually i was just looking that up it's only like uh seven thousand feet the average between 2,000 and 7,000 feet. So huh. it's like, I think that's lower than Cook City. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, okay, well, I know I won't be sick, but I was like, that's always been, I've always wanted to go there. Yeah. But then here's a snack in one of the tea houses. That's another traditional meal called Momo. Huh. And I think there was cheese and chicken in those. Right Ooh. on. With a some, little dumpling. With some curry sauce. Yeah. And my, what was that? That looks like lemon tea. Yeah, man. And water. But I don't even know what tea house happens in. Yeah, man. All the food looks good. It was. Like I said, I got tired of garlic and lentils and curry by the end of the trip. But um, And then we get up to the last village before base camp. Um, 5165. I think that's 18,000... <laughs> 300. That's a funny sign. Everest Base Camp, three hours walk. <laughs> three hours walk. 19 three, hours walk. Right. Three hour walk for like people that live there. Yeah. For, okay. For other people, not. It's like five hours. Yeah. Um, this, you got winded pretty easily. Um, so I had already hiked seven miles this day. Mm. And then we were going to go to base camp that afternoon. And so we ate lunch. I took a nap. And then we went to base camp. So it was Jeez. three hours there, three hours back, at least. Um, so what is your elevation right here? You're about what, 16? No, 18. 18? Yeah. 5165, 18.3, I think, 18.1, somewhere in there. Huh. So, yeah, yeah, you're above 18,000 feet. There's no trees. There's no nothing here. Gorik Shep is in a small, like, ancient lake bed. So it's rocks and sand. Here. There you go. Oh, yeah. That's Gorgship. Oh, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That place looks like a party right there. Yep. There's their solar power. And that's pretty much solar power. Well, there's a, that's a little clinic right there. How many people were in that? Like, how many people lived there? Year-round. I don't think anybody lives here year-round. Okay. But this was pretty much prime trekking season um, right in the middle of it. So every tea house here was fully staffed. And by the end of the day, there were pretty much every bed was full and in fact in um you can't see it here but behind there's a green roof back there in the back mm -hmm. there was like a dozen tents next to that and people would stay in those too if the tea houses were full um but um that building just to the right of the solar panels that's a little clinic hospital this used to be base camp for everest Oh, okay. Back in the day. This was as far as you went, and then you were actually, this was considered Everest Base Camp. Um, and then you would start your trek from here, go to Base Camp, go through the Kumbu Icefall Advanced Base Camp, and then you'd hit Camp 1, Camp 2, Camp 3, Camp 4, Summit Everest, come back out. They've moved it now to where where I was at, the rock that says Everest Base Camp. Ever, the base camp is around there. It just kind of depends on how the glacier moves, um, what happens between where we put base camp here, where we put base camp there, but it's right in that vicinity. I see. Um, there is a helicopter pad here. These horses, are those those little yep. horses? Yep. They're just hanging out. They're just hanging out. Not a whole lot there to eat. Man. 
yeah, how do they feed these guys? So I they, mean, they, they got to be. They, they got to be. They bring in the hay and straws. I mean, so, yeah, but yeah. So that's Gorik Shep. That's where I stayed at twenty four. And then that trail behind you is uh, the squiggly line going yep. up the back. Yep. So at the top of that is the um, right there. That little flat spot would be the helipad. Okay. And then. Um, you can summit to the top there. You can't see it in the frame, but I got pictures of it uh, somewhere else, maybe on stuff that I haven't downloaded yet. But that's called um, Kala Patar, and it means black rock. Okay. And a lot of people, so my intention after base camp was to hike up there and wait for sunset because Everest gets lit up at just like Nupsi does, but the clouds came in and completely uh, covered Everest, and so there was nothing there to see but fog. Yeah. Um, Uva the German that we talked about earlier, he yeah. went up there with his wife that night to the helipad and got super sick. He got altitude sickness. And he's like, I sh there was no reason to go because Everest got, so you couldn't see it. You couldn't see any of the mountains that wow. night. And then I could have gone in the morning when I woke up. Whoa. Um, I could have gone in the morning when I woke up and uh, it was just super bright and Everest was just shining. I mean, I wouldn't have got any pictures. It was just shining like a, a quarter you know, on the sidewalk. So I didn't even go up there. Um, but I wow. could have, I guess. So let's see. And so here's hiking to base camp. So that's the Kumbu glacier. Um, okay. Right there behind me. That's right all the behind sand. Your shoulder. And, yep. Right behind the sand, the sand and silt that deposits in it every year. Um, and then Everest is straight over my head. That little, little itty bitty peak. Okay. The one right above your head, right in the back. Yep, right in that little V. That's Everest. So to get to Everest, you have to go over this series of mountains. You go through the Kumbu Icefall, which if you look where my, if you're looking at the picture my left hand is, you see the, the valley right there. Yes. Mm -hmm. And all the crinkly snow, that's the Kumbu Icefall. Oh, man. So when people are climbing Everest, that's where all those ladders and stuff that are going across the crevasses and stuff, yeah. that's through there. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So here, there's the um, Kala Patar. Oh, wow. Okay. So you can hike to the top of that and you get a pretty good view of Everest. And then the one behind it that's all lit up is Pumori. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's the clinic. The white building there is the clinic. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, that's the village, man. Oh, man. Super desolate. Yeah. So like awesome. No vegetation. No. There's no vegetation. It's just for... everything is extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so cool. I mean, I loved it, how extreme it was. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that. it's exactly what I I pictured. Yeah. But yeah, so there's there's Kalapatar and, and Punjori. Um, so. What is the, um, what is like, is there any difference or um, like a noticeable dif difference in the length of day there? I no. mean, like here in the north, like we have longer days in the summer, shorter nights. Yeah. Like, is it? Uh, I didn't notice it. Okay. You know, I'm sure there was, I mean, cause we're at a different, uh, Latin long, but I didn't, Yeah. I okay. didn't, I didn't honestly pay attention to it. So, okay. And then here we are, Everest base camp. There's the rock. Oh man. Yeah. Let me, uh, there we go. I'm over here running the things yeah. at the same time, trying to make sure I don't mess anything up. Yeah. That's a great rock shop shot there. <laughs> Yeah, right on the Kumbu Glacier. So, yeah, every time you type in Everest Base Camp, this is the first thing that pops up is this rock. Um, and 
the, they used to have another rock that said Everest Base Camp, but it moved. It, it moved. Got, it got rolled yeah. by the glacier, so they had to make another one. <laughs> but, now, uh, I always think of glaciers as moving slowly, but they're not moving very slow, huh? I mean, they're as moving slow. Slow as relative. Yeah, but as far as, like, the earth and ice is freaking moving. It's moving yeah. pretty fast, you know. Um, here we go. This is the... This is the money shot. Yeah, it is. There you go. Standing on top of Everest Base Camp. Bunch of prayer flags. Is that what's draped yep. down there? Yeah, there's there? flags draped all over around there. And then, so Base Camp for this climbing season was directly behind me on this little flat. They're kind of in the left-hand corner. Okay. That's where the big actual Base Camp was. Wow. Um, Any sense of how many people were there at I base don't. Camp? So they say like 30,000 people. A go, year go through there. End up going through the actual base camp between the climbing seasons, and that's okay. That's you know, not. That's is your, that how many people are actually summiting? No, but that includes your staff. Um, okay. There's people that you know. There's the there's a, a makeshift hospital there. There's um, chow halls. I mean, there's a whole little sit tent city there yeah, during whole. the climbing season, and then it all gets taken out. But um, yeah, so I think they said like 30,000 people a year wow. end up through the Everest base camp, the actual base camp during the climbing wow. seasons. Yeah. So that was the culmination. I'm not going to lie. That was a pretty emotional time. I bet. You know, when I, it wasn't so much when I saw the rock and saw Everest. It was when I climbed up there Yeah. and realized that this is the culmination of this trip that I've wanted to do since I was 18 years old. Yeah. I mean, you were was, here and that was yeah. it. Yeah, it was... You know, and like I said, there was a spiritual connection with this whole area yeah. and just standing there and making it, I mean, it's 45 miles one way, you know. With one of these trips, though, the lead up to it is almost just as exciting as the getting there. You know, it's mm -hmm. like you've been leading to it for so long and having this that you get there. And it's yeah. like, it's almost like a bittersweet you know, like you're like, oh, I'm here, you know, yeah. but that, yeah. It was. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, after the emotions and everything settled down and I, and I was like, holy shit, I'm here. Yeah. This is it. And then I'm like, oh. I'm done. <laughs> I, was, I was there. You know, you're walking away from it and your back's to it now and you're like, oh, I was there. All this now time. I'm, now I'm leaving. Yeah. yeah. That, that just, that emotional. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was, it was super emotional, um, you know, but I mean, it is for everybody. Yeah, I don't know how it couldn't be, how it couldn't be emotional for you, you know. Yeah, so much preparation and yeah, so much thought and uh, focus to get you to that point. Yeah, here we are again, more base camp. Okay, you can see a little bit off to the side there. Yeah, yep, so ever shots. If you look in the top right corner, there's that little bit of rock sticking out mm -hmm. in the top right corner. That's Everest. Okay, so the Kumbu Icefall is about the same if you look behind the rock the way that rock is angled the kumbu icefall is be directly behind the walk going up that canyon okay um i can see that yeah yeah but that's i mean that was like i said that was so cool to be there and did you stay there then i stayed the there night? i stayed here for about an hour hour and a half and then uh, went back to gorikship oh, okay for that night so um and here we are with my with my trusty guide Sudip and then that's the company trekking Nepal wow yeah are people is there like a is there a logbook did you or no, anything like that no there's no logbook um 
pretty much everybody was doing what I was doing. And there wasn't a whole lot of people here when I went. I got I got a really good time window where there was probably only about 20 other people at, at the base camp rock. So we all just kind of filtered our way through, let everybody take pictures, do their thing, and then we left. The only thing that I should have done, and I thought about it like two-thirds of the way there, was had a Montana flag. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There were a lot cool. of people that had flags from their country, you know, sitting there on the rock. And I wish I would have had a small Montana flag to have to be like, yay. But, yeah. You know, now, but you know, I, now you know in the future, though. Yeah. But I had my Montana till I die hat. Yeah, know, there you the go. Trip. And I actually met people on the trail that were from Montana. Huh. Like three, the entire trip. They're like, hey, nice hat. I grew up in Great Falls. Ah. I'm like, no shit. You know, That's and, great. Yeah. So there was a few people from Montana in that trip. Three. Yeah. The total of three. And me. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. What else do we got? Are people come? signing the rock? Are people trying to? Do they tell you the rules about that? No. No. There, I mean, obviously, there's some graffiti on it, but uh, yeah. um, most people weren't trying to sign it or anything like that. A lot of people would bring, like, a picture or something of, like, a loved one or something like that. Okay. Put it on the rock, take a picture, I take see. the rock, take the picture away. Um, yeah. Here's another picture. Yeah. There's a bunch of pictures of me there because... Yeah, dude, you, know. you had to get them. Yeah. While you're there. Yeah. Plan on blowing any of these up? A few. Um, I've got a couple ideas for pictures that I want to blow up on the wall. Yeah. Uh, there's one of Nupsy. Like I said, man, I didn't put them on here because they're on Facebook, but that one of Nupsy is just beautiful with the clouds and the mist. And have you? Uh, did you post that one? Is that one? I posted a couple of them. Yeah, I think I posted one today on okay. Instagram. That's on there. Okay. So, but. What else do we got here? I mean, that's, yeah. Then you get your guide. Yeah, sure he gets his, the man. He gets his, eh, you know, and for him, he's like, yeah, this is like the 15th time I've been there. I think this was his 15th trip ever. Really? To actual base camp. Yeah. So. How many of these guys, um, guys like this, do they ever actually go and summit? Whoops. I don't know. He's never summited. Um, and I didn't actually talk to a guide that had. Most of them were at base camp, and that's as far as they go. Yeah. Yeah. So. And your porter? Um, my porter, it was his third time there. Okay. So he wasn't really big on the camera. Really? No. He didn't want his picture taken a whole lot, um, none of that. And the porters, there's like shortcut trails. They would take those, so they were ahead of you, you know, so your gear would be at your tea house before you got there. Oh, well, that's interesting. Deal. Yeah. Um, and they don't make a lot of money, the porters. So, I mean, he got a pretty good tip from me by the end of the trip. But, uh, yeah, they just pack their gear. and he had A his, shortcut trail. Like, that would be like. Yeah. Kind of like, like, well, a lot of this was switchbacks. Uh-huh. And then they just kind of go straight up or straight, straight down. Up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there we are. I think this was right before leaving base camp, the rock going back to Gorkshep. The wind, yeah. the wind was howling at this point. It was It was cold. Oof. Up there, my hands froze. I think my GoPro died, so I don't know if I actually got video uh, here because the GoPro died. I had like two batteries, but they were they just wouldn't stay warm. Yeah, on the GoPro. But uh, either way, I mean, it's something I'll never. I like the flags, man. Yeah, I've got some pictures of the rock and then the flags on the side that turned out pretty good. I just haven't messed with any of those yet. You know, but it's hard. You know, I sit at the computer and I start going through these and then I start remembering what happened and then I forget while I'm at my computer and then I'm like, oh, I can't edit any of them. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, and then everything is just going back on the way down. So this was at the, this is uh, Lobochi. 
that was one of my that was my probably my second favorite village that's a beautiful shot yeah that's just a cell phone picture most of these are um but yeah that's Lobochi. did you find you used your uh your main big camera i used it a lot i mean i mean that was i mean i forced myself to because that's primarily the reason i went is to take pictures yeah. i didn't use all the lenses that i thought i'd use yeah so i could have probably done with two i used a 50 millimeter a 16 millimeter and a 24 to 105 okay. i could have probably just taken the 24 to 105 and the 16 and been fine i don't think really? i used the 50 millimeter at all mm. okay um i wished i would have had a 24 to 70 2.8 i okay. think that would have been a little bit better than the 24 to 105 did F4, you but, yeah were there were you were there videos or were you doing some research on that on what lenses to possibly take or was that just one of the things that it's your own craft you just kind of made make up what you think you're going to need no i knew what i wanted to take prior to um you know a lot of the stuff they say most people are like well a, a, an iphone or an android will suffice and most people had that's all they had yeah you know probably for every They've just gotten so much better it's yeah. just crazy yeah probably for every actual camera i saw there were 150 yeah just iphone users or apple you know or android yeah. users but i mean it's it's what you're there for i mean i'm i'm a photographer that's yeah i wanted the, i wanted the pictures that aren't just the that you see on every instagram feed or every tiktok video of, right you know so and my guide was super cool with it he's like he's like dude you should lay here on this rock and and get a picture you know uh, and and try to get this in the foreground like i posted some on uh on instagram of Dingbochi on the day on my acclimation day and I've got prayer rocks and stuff like that in the foreground and laying down on the side of the mountain trying to get some different angles and stuff like that. I've been looking at some of them, yeah. Yeah. That one and then the one you posted today of that sunset. Yeah. Oh, that one's a gorgeous shot. And a lot of times you can get lucky and get Everest in that same that same look with the sun, you know, in, in the pink light, the um, post-sunset light but like i said the night that i was there it got super cloudy super fast and i couldn't it never happened awesome so but yeah that's lobochi that was one of my, my probably my second favorite village on on the trip yeah that's a beautiful that's a beautiful shot so it just shows how i mean just utterly remote it is it's just so remote yeah yeah uh wow. let's see so so here's how the porter care. I got to port my own stuff for a little bit. This was on the way back. Looking um, good. Yeah. But that's uh, 20, about 20 pounds of gear, and that's how my porter packed it the entire trip. Really? And they put that strap right up over their head, huh? Yeah. It, for the, like, the, the I, I carried it for, like, 500 yards. Yeah. And that was fine. If I had to do it anymore, I'd be like, this oh, gets man. sore. Yeah, man, I'm think that immediately I'm thinking neck pain and a headache right but there. Everybody carries it like that. Yeah, yeah, see, so my porter has my my little sticker on on his water bottle. Right ah, there. yeah, I see it. Um, this was in in uh, Namche on the way back from base camp. But yeah, that's how they carry everything. I mean, there's hundreds of people on the trail that are porting, you know, from yeah. different from actual clients like me to the tea house owners that are bringing gear up. But some of these guys would have three and four cases of beer you know for the tea houses and that's what they're reporting oh man you know? um so i don't know how that wasn't very comfortable to be honest yeah. i mean like i said 500 yards and i did it up the steps and everything to our tea house and down a little bit of a hill and i was like yeah i'm done so there's no but they're not using backpack straps no so like even if they had a backpack like a like an osprey backpack they uh -huh. rigged it up and they carried it like this wow yeah so 
You, are you going to uh, start, you know, hiking up to Mystic like this? Nope. <laughs> nope. Come on, man. No way. Whoops. <laughs> I have backpacks for a reason. Because you meet people on the trail and you give you an opportunity, they'd be looking at you all weird and be like, yeah, yeah. a little something I picked up at Everest. <laughs> yeah. No way. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'll do it around town maybe once in a while. But... Around town. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that was the trip. And then. That's incredible. Heading home from, uh, heading home. Off the oh yeah, off the mountain. That was that was a crap day. I was like, I'm not ready to go. You know, I was going to ask you that a minute ago. That heading back, because uh, you, you you said you were only at the you were at the rock for how long? An hour and probably an hour and a half. And then you had head back. You didn't even camp up there, right? Yeah, we camped at Gorkshep, right? Which, which is, is what three hours away? Yeah, three hours away. So immediately, some of those feelings had to be setting in. Yeah, oh, it did. You know, like I said, when you turn your back to it, you're like the culmination. Well, for me, it was from the age of 18 until 40 that I wanted to do this. Yeah. And then the last two years, we're actually researching it and getting to do this trip. And then I'm up there hiking in anticipation to see it for oh, almost, just almost over. You know, a week and a half. And then you get there, you do your thing, and then you turn around and go back. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. over. Now you got to just... Uh... Pick out some new big goal, yeah. something to work toward. Um, you know, and even like I even had the jungle trip after this, and I haven't even I didn't even bring any trips for that or pictures of that. But you know, so I I do this, I get back to Kathmandu, shower. Yeah. Oh, it was so nice to shower um, after almost two weeks. But uh, shower, go eat dinner at the avocado cafe, and kind of you know go through all my pictures from all the, this trip, and then I was like, man, it's over. And then I called Shasta and the girls and talked to him about it and got emotional again um yeah i got emotional like back to back on this trip i was like oh okay <laughs> but you know um i bet though i mean you know it would be a it's a lot of feelings going on like how do you yeah, yeah just a lot of up and oh. there would be a lot of emotional a lot of emotions there that's a that's a big deal it was and then uh you know like i was talking to her on the phone that day i'm like I said, my trip is essentially over. I mean, the icing on the cake was the, not the icing on the cake, but like this little mini adventure, you know, I'm going to go to the jungle, um, was the, it was there. But as far as like the reason I went to Nepal is over. Yeah. You know, I mean, what am I going to do next? I mean, I was already thinking about what do I want to do next? What is Antarctica? I'd love to. I think I want to do Kilimanjaro. Yeah. And I want to summit Kilimanjaro. Yeah. I've never been to Africa. You're going to catch the bug, man. Probably. And you're going to be starting to, uh, now i got to go summit this. Now i got to go Maybe. summit that. I'd go back and summit some of these peaks. There's a couple of peaks that requ don't require a whole lot of mountaineering. Yeah. And I could summit those. Yeah. Um, and I might. You know, I wouldn't mind go. I'd go back. I'd go, If somebody said, hey, let's go back to Nepal, I'd go tomorrow. Dude, I bet you there's a lot of guys who go and summit Everest that don't have a, a lick of training. It's money. It is money, yeah. You know, and I don't have that kind of... And, like, my guide, my company, you know, they were super excited with the pictures I took and everything like that, and they're Aren't, like... Are, are the guys getting sponsorships, though? I don't know. I don't know if they are or not. I'm sure a lot of them do it anymore. Yeah. But, you know, some of them just have the money to go. Yeah. You know, it's a rich man's game, pretty much. It is, yeah. But my company was super excited, and... uh the trekking to Paul and they're like, well, look, you know, we've had people ask in the past if there's photographers that would memorialize their trip. He's like, would you mind if we, if this were to happen, if we gave you a call, I'm like 
call me tomorrow and I'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll figure it out. You know, so I mean, there's always that possibility. Um, I mean, it's not high up there, but there's a possibility that that could happen. And I'd go back. Um, I do want to try to climb a couple of other peaks and I'd go back there. But I think my next big trip is Kilimanjaro. Yeah. As far as exploring something. But like we talked about before, this also gave me this huge appreciation for how much there is around here. Yeah. And how much I haven't explored here. And then you turn me on to a book that the whole book is about this. 300 square mile area that we live in and I'm like, I've never been there yeah Mo there's so many places in Montana it's so funny how you it's, live here yeah. and you just never never go you know I'm glad I've came across that because uh you know we we get caught up in work and don't get out and go see do things a lot it. but that has really fired up some things in me too as as far as like wow there's some other areas I need to go see there's other and does he know how things. we ran across him I mean yeah I think so I we were actually <laughs> It was the funniest story. So I had my one wheel, and uh, I'd got a scooter for um, April. I'll have to show it to you. It's beefy. <laughs> It'll do forty miles an hour. Yeah. And it, really? Yeah. It and it's got like off-road suspension on it. Huh. It's it's a beast. I mean, yeah. it's it goes uncomfortably fast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, so um, we went up there, and we were on the rims. We were just riding on the rims, and and. Um, I don't know. Just came across all this. Actually, wasn't there a guy we ran into? He's like, oh yeah, there's a. Yeah, there was a guy. He's like, well, the graves up there. There's something. yeah. He's like, hey, you guys. Uh, I don't know. We just ran into some guy on the trail, and he was just like, oh yeah. And then there's a, you know, there's Yellowstone Kelly's grave up there. And we were like, okay, there's a grave up there. Like I don't <laughs> even know. What, and we were just, you know, kind of over there, almost just right above the metro, because yeah. it's overlooking the metro, and um, and you just kind of go up there and. We're like, okay, there's a little trail up here, and there's a little walkway, and you go up there, and there's all of a sudden, all of, all of a sudden, these big displays, and there's a big slab of granite on the on the ground, um, and we're like, what is this? There, somebody put a lot of money into this, and there's all these really neat historical, you know, telling the story of this and this and this, and old photos of everything. Yes, yeah, and then you cool. continue on the trail, and there's another big display, and it keeps on. Yeah. Um, Anyway, that's how we found this, was just riding, and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, there's a ton of information up here. And then uh, it was after that I, I got into some of these other books, or that maybe it was during that period, but then uh, not too long ago I was like, man, I, I forgot about that that gravesite up there, and I looked it up and found his book and started it. And yeah, and you quickly surpassed me in reading it. Though. You were already like, yeah, I'm already past that part. I'm like, I read it at night uh, when yeah. I go to bed. I get about 15 minutes, 20 minutes in when I, as I'm going to sleep. And um, so I was like, holy cow, he's already he's already passed that part now. Right. That's why I don't have all the pictures I was supposed to have because instead of going through pictures and editing, yeah. I started reading, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll finish the book tonight. Yeah. So I don't know, but it really does show there's adventure all around us. Just like you said, there's, yeah. a, I mean, we live in Montana, which is one of the greatest states for adventure, even totally. still to this day. And, uh, yeah. there's a lot of history and, but there's a lot of things to go out and go see and accomplish here. Too. There are. So, you know, and that was, you know, a lot of the conversation I had with people in tea houses and stuff about Montana. Um, my, my guide, he wants to come here so bad. Really? You know, we talked about um, hunting and fishing and the elk. And like we went through pictures of, uh, you know, some of mine from Yellowstone and, and bighorn sheep and the elk and bear and stuff like that. And they were just like, how can you, how do you live like that? It's just wild. I'm like, well, it's not really wild, but they were just enthralled with it. And sometimes, I mean, it, that's why I said it gave me that appreciation and that drive to be like, 
don't get complacent. Don't get bored with where we are. I mean, here I went across the world for this adventure that an adventure of a lifetime that I wanted to do. But like we said, when we first started talking, it just gave me that drive to be like, I don't ever want to become complacent and bored with where I'm at. Yeah. You know, and, and like we talk once a week about all the cool things that are just right here. You don't have to go that far. Yeah. You know, surrounded to, by to adventure. Things. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, the beaten path, which a lot of people do the hike from Cook City to, to the East Rosebud. I mean, there's that. There's cross lake treks in the Beartooth that don't have trails. Yeah. Why aren't we doing those? Yeah. You know, um, this whole Yellowstone Kelly thing. I mean, that's opened up a whole new, like, like we talked about earlier. I'd like to go follow his route. Yeah. You know, from the old Fort Keogh to Fort Peck, just to, just to say, yeah, this, I went in the same place this mountain man went, you know, or like Jeremiah Johnson, my hero. I mean, coming right through here, helping horse countrymen build the first hotel around here in the trading post and then going to Red Lodge. And I mean, just, there's all these things. And, and this trip made, made the most of that. It's just like, here's these adventures all over the place, but don't forget how close there are adventures to you. It, it's so interesting to me how many people I've read now, different books I've read where somebody came in contact with Horace Countryman. Yeah. I, and I don't know, do you know, are there any books out there just on Horace Countryman? I don't know if there's any, but I know Gazed Upon the Beartooth has a ton of stuff about stuff on him. Horace I need to Countryman go and that check whole those out. Family. Those are still at the library over there. Is, I don't know. I don't you know. That's borrow, where I you, found them. You can borrow mine. How'd you get a copy of that? I can't remember, but I've had it for a long, long time. <laughs> I need to get a copy of that. I don't I've know got, how I buy that, but I'm going to figure... Yeah. But I'm going to... Uh, yeah. I'll have to check into that because that's my latest thing too. Is I, I So I just got Tough Trip. Mm -hmm. um, I got that in the mail the other day. I want to read that one again. And um, anyway, he mentions it. He mentions him. I doesn't Yellowstone Kelly. I don't know. I don't know if he, know if he mentions him or not. Mm -hmm. I know Lieutenant James Bradley in the Montana column yeah. mentions him, and he doesn't say very good things. <laughs> um, he doesn't spend a lot of time on it. He just no. mentions him. Um, but he's like, yeah, he's a. I can't remember what he called him. I don't want to. Right. But I. I. Yeah. But. That was great because in the Montana column, they come over from Bozeman and then they head up the valley, they mm -hmm. head up the Stillwater to the uh, Crow Agency. They spend some time there and he gives a really good accounting of General Gibbon's um, proposal mm -hmm. to the to the Crow to, he wants 26 scouts and they're like, why should we do this? And he's like, for the glory. You get to go fight your old your old, old enemy, enemy. Mm -hmm. and uh, they're gonna get army wages and this and this and they're like, well, I don't know, we don't yeah. we, we can't make them anybody go. They'll go if they want to go. And anyway, but the meeting he describes that meeting really well. The detail of that meeting and who said what and how people were dressed and how people greeted each other and how just just he was just a like a just documenting this somehow yeah. you know from the corner fascinating that's when i was like where's crow agency at because he explains it he talks mm -hmm. about how beautiful it was he talks about how there was just um just as far as you can see just teepees all across that whole that whole flat that whole flat out there just tons of them and he said there was um and then there was some smaller foothills he said that there was thousands of horses that they're um just 
roaming all of those hills right there above all those teepees right there and he talks about it when they were coming in that the view of that with the mountains in the backdrop with those horses and all those teepees it was impressive he says Hmm. um and so he talks he's they spend a day a couple days there to get these guys to agree to give them some scouts and then they head back up the Stillwater. He talks all about that until they get back out to the Yellowstone. And, and then he's the head of scouts, Lieutenant Bradley is. And so he, he's talking about his experiences with these guys the whole time because that's who he's in charge of. Yeah. Um, anyway, <clears throat> that got me super fired up to, to be like, oh, like, how do I find out where that is? And then I'm, I, talk, I bring it up with you and you're like, I know where I where it's at. <laughs> I was like, oh man. So now yeah. we got to spend, we got to like, once the weather gets better. Yeah, it's right past. In the spring. Just right past Rock and Jay on, the, on Highway 78. That's crazy. Yeah. So when they were redoing that road, they had to bring in a study from um, MSU to go through and grab Indian artifacts and all that stuff because they were going right through the old agency you can see and when there's no snow you can see the old footings for the actual building one of the buildings from crow agency when it was up here wow yeah but yeah so that's what i mean one of the biggest things i took away from this trip was that there's just so much adventure we don't have to go to nepal to do it right i can do it here um you know and and the learning just being surrounded by that many different cultures for that long and listening to the conversations and talking to people and and realizing how much i don't know yet yeah you know and that goes not just from history but i mean like we've talked about graham hancock and that that whole thing and just not taking the standard point of view towards everything yeah being able to 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 be open to to question things yeah 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 so i mean that's and i don't know I don't know if I would have, I mean, I've always had that, but like we said earlier, I don't know if I'd be where I am now if it wasn't for, for this trip and learning yeah. that kind of stuff. So just, you know, I get goosebumps thinking about it, you know, I was like yeah. a month and a half ago, I was standing at the bottom of the tallest mountain in the world. Yeah. You know, now here I am back here and can't wait for the next one. I know. That's what I'm thinking, man. I'm like, I know it's, it's sad. There's emotions leaving that, but I'm, uh, I'm excited for what comes next for you. Cause, uh, now that you've, Yeah. It's like you've—I don't know—it's not that you've caught a bug. You—you've always had that bug, but it's kind of like, hey, okay, what's next? Like, yeah, you know, gotta go—I don't know—go find, go set another goal, start working toward it because all of that leading up to it, like what April was saying earlier, is like that to me is—that's like part of it. The whole experience is that journey of the research of. All of that like is anytime you go on vacation or you're going somewhere new yeah. and you're, you know, culture and I love culture and I love food. So I'm like, when I look at places, I'm like, okay, food, you know, surrounding that. Cause yeah. I think you get to know a culture through food and that's a big, huge thing for me, but it's always the lead up and that it's like your, that excitement just builds and builds oh, and yeah. builds. And yeah. So that's part of the whole thing is. Yeah. And I, I think I've given that to my kids too. They've been super, like when we went to Mexico, mm-hmm. they couldn't wait, you know, so they were looking on the internet for all the stuff that we were going to do. And, and we did the whole resort thing with the kids. Yeah. But, you know, they were like, we want to try this food. We want to try that food. Yeah. We want to go sit on this part of the ocean. We want to go play in the sand over here. And so hopefully my kids have... Get have, that adventure. Get that. And, and, you know, this trip, you know, and I think I posted it on Facebook. I'm like, if nothing else, this trip, I wanted to show my kids that your dreams, no matter how big they are, are possible. Yeah. I mean, I would have never, you know, who would have thought when I was 18 that... I would be able to follow through on something that it took me 22 years. Yeah. 
but there I was. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Kimber's turning 16 and she's kind of going through that. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not an adult. Kind of stuck in between. And yeah, I'm like, it's hard. I'm like, baby girl, just look what you can accomplish. You know, yeah. find that thing that you're passionate about and and you have your right. whole life. You're exactly. 16. You you haven't even hit it yet. Exactly. Yes. So you know, and and if somebody else sees my stuff and they're like, you know, I, I I want I want that drive. I want that passion. Then it's all been worth it. I mean, I mean that's as far as my photography too. If if I don't make a million dollars on it, and I probably won't, I don't give a shit. But if I can inspire that passion in somebody, whether they're yeah. 16 years old or, or 50 years old, yeah. then I mean. That's all we can ask for as humans, isn't it? Yeah. And inspire that passion in you doing that, you know? So. Yeah. I mean, you guys are inspiring. I mean, you've inspired a ton of people around here. So, I mean, mean, that's all I think we can ask for as humans is just do our best, help each other out and inspire each other. Yeah. Well, I'm telling you, you inspire us because I'm, I'm talking about all this i'm i I am we've been we've been talking about this a lot lately that we get so caught up with work and everything else and uh it's kind of like ah man we need to get out there and set goals and go do get get out of work and go do other big things and and go experience some things for sure because uh you can get trapped in life just going through the motions routine you know and and at the end of the day it's like do you want to be known oh you worked hard or do you want to be known for how you lived and yeah the experiences you yeah. had. Yeah. Uh, do you do you, have you seen that movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Hundred times. Hundred times. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Because the whole time I'm going through all this, I'm hearing that soundtrack in my head. Like yeah. I love that movie, and uh, I've I got a, I might be close to a hundred <laughs> times myself. I bring it up at work all the time. We play it at work anyway. Yeah, I do. I watch it all the time. But it's such a uh, that movie is so good. It is inspiring about mm-hmm. like get out and go do things and go yeah. experience some things. I had had an opportunity to go to Iceland with uh, my son Andre, and we listened to that soundtrack. And we were over there, and we then we found places that were in the movie, mm-hmm. and um, we ate lunch at a building. He he rides that longboard yeah. down that hill, and we drove down that hill. We're like, this is the hill, you know. And uh, you didn't longboard it. We did not longboard. <laughs> it was a long, scary hill, and uh, yeah. But to just go out there. So I, when you're talking about oh, finally being here, like that wasn't a place, obviously that I'd been trying to go to for 20 years. But, um, but I know that feeling a bit of being like, wow, this is surreal to yeah. kind of be here. This, um, and uh, anyway, so we went and experienced some of that stuff, and to be in some of that grandeur, some of that scenery that is just unreal. It's like anything that we have or you around here but to go be in you know at the base of those giant waterfalls and uh, things like that it, it, they are it's, it does something inside of you it makes does. you yeah yeah i don't think anybody cares how many bottles of sauce you sell in your life or how many traffic stops i make in my career yeah but they're going to care about those adventures you had yeah and to and you're not when we're old and retired like remember that one day I sold 700 bottles <laughs> no yeah. I don't but do you remember that time yeah, yeah. we went right. climb that mountain exactly because yeah, those days of selling this or that yeah. they all blend together they do yeah. they all blend together they do and I like and I love my job I love doing what I do I mean it's a calling for sure but you know I'm not going to remember that stuff yeah. when I retire down the line but I'm going to remember Nepal yeah. I'm going to remember Mexico yep. I'm going to remember the next one yeah I'm going to remember Yellowstone you know, those are the ones we remember. So, yeah. you know, the dash between our dates isn't very long, but 
we got to make the most of it. That's for sure. I yeah. agree. That and try to inspire that in our kids. Yes. You know? yes. That's why I was when I was asking, I was like wondering, like, I don't know, the kids at, at this age, it seems like I just remember I, I, I probably couldn't have grasped it. Like it would have been exciting, you know, to see that, oh, my dad went and did this. But I don't know if you can grasp it at that age of like what that is to to go do something like that, especially yeah. on your own. Like you just went and did that on your own. Like, yeah. I wonder if they grasped that. Like, that's not easy. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, just to be on your own and just go do that just by yourself. And that yeah. takes a lot of courage. And That's the mountain man mentality. There yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. They did it on their own most yeah. of the time. Yeah. So, but I never even thought about not doing it on my own ever. Yeah. It's not just one time. a solo thing that you had to do. Yep. And Mike, when I when I scheduled the trip and everything like that, the company I went through and my guide, he's like, "Well, you want to go with a group?" I'm like, "No." Nah. He's like, "It can get kind of lonely without a group." I'm like, "No, it won't. I, I want me." Yeah. You know, I want to be able to go at my pace. I want to experience my emotions, my feelings. I don't want anybody else's. Yeah. And so I never thought about going with other group. people. No, ever. And I don't know if I will on any adventure. Yeah. I mean, like Chitsunitsa was great, but it was with a group. As a and group, you just feel like, you know, I don't know. I would think you feel like, okay, I'm in a tourist yep. group. You know? Yeah, well, and I here. don't like that either. I like going off on my own. I'll rent yeah. a car and go or yeah. do whatever. Yeah, I'm not a tourist group person. Yeah, either. I didn't want it to feel like I was a tourist. I wanted to get immersed in the culture. Yep. I wanted to have, com and, I, and I did. I mean, I got to hang out with Nepalese people. I got to have conversations with them. I mean, in broken English, because I couldn't speak their yeah, language. Yeah, but still. But I mean, like, I learned traditional card games. I got to eat a ton of their food. I, you know, yeah. I never would once thought about doing it as a group. And I, there were groups there yeah. in the tea houses. And it just, like, it, was, it wasn't chaotic, but it wasn't, it wasn't comfortable. Yeah. You know, I just, I would never think about it, uh, doing it in a group. Yeah. You know, now if I had my wife and kids with me, probably, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. But I never would have. Never wants it to come across my mind to do it in a group. Mm. Um, hey, maybe you can do a swap with that with that guide buddy of yours and be like, "Hey, man, yeah, come on out here. I'll take you all over, show you all the sights, mm -hmm. and then next time, take me on the, the one of those other routes." Yeah. Well, I did learn that you can actually work all summer at base camp. Really? At the actual base camp during climbing season, I'm like, well. Well, I'm married and have kids. I don't know if I can do that. What, and what is the climbing season? Because it's not a very long climbing season. Oh, I guess Everest isn't a very long climbing season. No. But what about the no. other ones? So I believe climbing season in the spring is March, April, May. Okay. Um, not even the full month of May. And then the fall climbing season is October, November, part of December. Oh, okay. So, so you got about six, five, six months out of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not too bad, actually. No, and like some 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 summers or some climbing seasons, hardly anybody is able to summit anything just because of the weather. Yeah. You know, this year it was a month shorter because the monsoon lasted um, longer than it normally does. And there were trails that were washed out. There were mudslides and stuff like that that they normally don't deal with in October, November because they've had a whole month to fix them. Yeah. So. Hmm. But... Well, man, I'm excited to hear about the next uh, the next goal that you're uh, yeah setting your sights on. Maybe we'll figure it out together. I don't All know right, <laughs> but we'll definitely get together again. We got we got some stuff to talk about here. Yeah, after we read a couple more of these books. Hey, maybe when you get done with the Yellowstone Kelly book, what we need to do on some weekend is we'll go up on the rims with you or something, and go up. We'll go meet up there at the 
and we'll go have dinner or something and go up there to the yeah his spot up there on the hill that'd be kind of cool yeah it would yeah i couldn't believe how this thing's just right up there yeah just overlooking the yeah. metro i know and, and billings how many times like, you've been driving by and yeah. you're like oh like I didn't even, I didn't even know that was a thing well i looked around a little bit and i guess there's that little museum right there at the airport Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you drive yeah. by when you leave. I guess there's a bunch of stuff for Yellowstone Kelly in there too. I've yeah. never been there. I've never yeah. walked in there. Yeah, me no, either. Ever. So. Who'd have known? That's pretty wild. I, now we got to stop by there. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe we'll do that, and then we'll take the GoPros and, and, and some and some gear, and we'll go to some of the places that he hiked through. And yeah, you know. I know. I got to do the. Um, we got to do the um, last stand. The little oh, bighorn too. Yeah, a little bighorn. Yeah, yeah. I've been there yet. Been yeah. here for years. I've read now three, four books on it. I have not been, there. been there. And it's so close. I know. Yeah. Ninety miles away. It's gonna be some. It's probably gonna be some religious, emotional experience for me <laughs> when I finally get there because I've read about it for You've so read long. So much on it. June. <laughs> I've read so many books on it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so crazy. I'm on my third. Well, Yellowstone Kelly talks a little bit about it, but I think I've read three books about the battle, and then, like I said, I found that podcast, that six-part series. Oh, you're gonna have to share that with me. Yeah. On it. That's yeah. pretty good. I'm on number five on that one, but okay, yeah. And who then did, he's who did that podcast? Uh, I've got it right here. And then he did one on Henry Plummer too. I think a six part one on Henry Plummer in Virginia City and the vigilantes. Okay, okay. I was like, why do I know that name? Because we actually went and stayed uh, just outside of Virginia City this yeah. this year. We're, yeah, we went to Virginia yeah. City. That Ruby Reservoir. Yep. There's a ton of history there too. Um, it's called Legends of the West. Okay. Is the name of the podcast. Legends of the West. Yeah, I think. I'll remember that because it's now recorded, so when I go back and... Right. Because there's one, too, the Nez Pierce War. So it talks about all the, the Nez Pierce from the West Coast all the way through Montana, and then from where the sun now stands, I'll fight no more forever. Yeah. You know, whole Chief Joseph thing. What is the name of the guy, though? Yellowstone um, Kelly's take on the uh, that last battle of the Nez Pierce was kind of interesting. Yeah. Some little things he said that they had actually been excavating out little tunnels underground. Yeah. And, and, that, then, the, and that the Indians were just like, it's cold. They would, they would actually have to keep moving down there. They're like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to fight soon to stay yeah. warm. They yeah. brought that guy underground to negotiate or talk with them. They brought this army officer underground yeah. and they were freezing. It's, it's getting fall. And, uh, and they're just like, we're going to have to fight again soon to stay warm. Yeah. Legends of the Old West by Black Barrel Media. Okay. And the guy that does it is really good. But like Nez Pierce Wars, his latest one, he talks about Tom Horn. Um, he does a couple different ones with Jesse James, Billy the Kid. I mean, mm-hmm. he just picks topics. I've been to Jesse James' house, the house that he was shot in. I have never done anything. I've been, we went by Tombstone, but then okay. some of that stuff with, um, down there for Wide Earp and those things. Yeah. But as far as Jesse James, Billy the Kid, never done any of that. I've been to Billy the Kid's mm-hmm. grave. Really? Yeah. So uh, I was driving truck one time, and uh, well, not one time. I was driving truck for years, <laughs> but this one time I found myself, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm kind of going near there. Like yeah. it's not very far off to go over here to Fort Sumner." And so I went over there and caught the museum, and then yeah, then the, the graveyard was just down the road a little ways. So yeah. I went down there. That's a whole there. other period of history. Stood too, there by that's... myself. The Lincoln County Wars? Yeah. That's some cool stuff. Yeah, I've read a lot on those too. There's so. a lot of politics in there that they don't ever talk about. Yes. You know, yeah, it's, there's politics. a lot of nuance that gets yeah. left out in the rom- in the romanticizing of the story. Yeah. 
Well, that's what I've been learning too, like reading Gibbons Journal and Miles and Bradley's. I haven't read through Bradley's yet, but there's a ton of politics that were involved in some of the treaties. Yeah. You know, and and what pissed off Red Cloud and Sitting Bull so much. Man, yes. Uh, One of the books, talking about the politics of these things, one thing I think I I read them, or I learned the most of was from um, Stephen Ambrose's book, Crazy Horse and mm. Custer. Yeah. Have you read that one? Not yet. Okay. We, have we talked about that one? I don't know. Okay. Maybe. Because <laughs> I meant to actually bring it today. Didn't I say that? I was like, I was going to bring yeah. it in case you didn't have it. I was going to make gonna loan that to you. I finally found it at a place in town. Yeah. And um, that book was so good. I really liked it because he really goes into what really led up to this and why were treaties written like this and why, you know. There's some stuff in there that just blew my mind. You don't get taught this stuff in school. Yeah. And uh, how powerful that, that that treaty of 1868 was so <laughs> just a, it's a crazy thing. What all happened from that treaty in 1868? It's the only time that the army surrendered unconditionally. Yeah, and, they did. Yeah, and they were like, they, the Sioux were like, no, you're leaving these forts. And uh, no. And then they burned them down. And they burned them all down. I want to go try to find those forts, too, because uh, anyway, that's a whole other thing we could talk about, too. But anyway, those treaties and the politics behind it all and why they did the different things they did, uh, pretty amazing stuff. Well, uh, yeah, and like if you look at Custer, Custer almost didn't get to lead the 7th Cav. He testified in Washington against, um, was it Sheridan? No, who did he testify against? I can't Ooh, remember uh, right now off the top of my head, but, but he'd, like, he'd really tick some people off. Yeah, and then he put, like, Grant's, like, was, you're done. It was, he testified, I think, against Grant's brother. Was it? I want to say it was a relative of Grant. Grant was not a fan of Custer. No, because he testified against him for something that happened, and then, like, he tried to meet with Grant, like, four times, and Grant's like, no, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah, because there was corruption in Washington, yep. and he was basically saying, look, Grant's doing favors for, you know, so-and-so, or, or I don't know what he was saying, but yeah. he was something along those lines that uh, that there was a lot of corruption and whatever else. Yeah. Um, that book, Crazy Horse versus or Crazy Horse and Custer, the t- two parallel lives of something, whatever it's called, um, really good. It leads up and it starts with Custer as a boy, starts as Crazy Horse as a boy. There's so many, so much good um, stuff that he gives on Crazy Horse too, because there was a lot of people that I think that there's a lot of documentation of people who knew Krusty, uh, Crazy Horse and his childhood growing up and what his childhood was like, and. Um, Anyway, it's fascinating. They follow oh, these yeah. two guys growing up until they they get to there. And um, anyway, the uh, the end of the Indian Wars and and kind of how all that was ha- happened. It really was a tragedy how that all went down um, and how it set the stage for what we have now at these times. Uh, it's it's crazy how impactful that Treaty of eighteen sixty eight was. Yeah. I learned so much from that thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, we've totally changed gears. We could do this for another three hours. Just I know. You could. We'll do it one day. Okay. All right. She's giving me the international sign for... I have to go. Yeah, I have to go meet somebody at the trailer. 
Oh, okay. To get them sauce. Oh, there we go. See, we got to get back to selling sauce. <laughs> there we go. Oh, all right. There you go. You're going to remember about, that day. We're not talking adventure anymore. We got to go sell a bottle of sauce. It'll be memorialized because it's on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, right. Screw you and your adventure. I'm selling sauce. We got to go sell some sauce. <laughs> hey, hey, man. Th- yeah. Thanks for having me. Guys. Hey, man. I appreciate you taking the time to come and do this with us. Uh, this is a crazy time of year. It's Christmas and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I feel like this is a special treat to be able to have you just come and bring your pictures, and we just got yeah, like one on one time with you. Yeah. Um. So sure to appreciate that, man. And uh, looking forward to doing some adventures with you here. I in do. The Thanks for having me, and yeah, know, I love talking about it and hanging with you guys is a blast. So yeah, awesome. Let's cool. make some adventures together. All right, I'm down. All right, all right. April, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Let's go sell some stuff.